You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Yeah, I'm at home. I'm just hanging out. This is my day off. Um, Belinda's in Rome. So she she went to Rome with the Latin class of Central High School and two of my girls. So that's kind of fun. So she's in Rome. The 19-year-old stayed over last night. She's got some stuff to do. She's going to come back tomorrow night. So I'm bachelor in it. And I'm like, oh, I got this activity I want to do. I got this thing I want to do. And I'm like, Nope, I'm gonna watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> you um, because we're recording on a Thursday, and isn't Thursday normally your family day? But your kids are getting old and like starting to do their own things. That has to be a little weird. It is weird. Um, yeah, this is our family day, so I designed this like ten years ago that I would take Thursdays off and we go to the park, the zoo, skiing, whatever it was, and we would do something family orientated. Now. They all have cars. They all drive. They all go to their own things. So I may have to start working fam, um, family days or start writing my book, something. Well, it's funny because, oh, you're going to write a book. I'll have to ask you about that. But um, initially when you when I started seeing you, um, Thursdays always like worked best for my schedule to come see you. But for years, it's been Thursday was family yeah. day. And it was like yeah. that. I mean, I respect that because you got to set that time aside. Yeah. but. Seems like your oldest is 19. Yeah, it, it was sacred. I, yeah, no, we have, okay, we have 16, 17, 19, 20, 24, and 31. That's enough of them, I would say. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that is. Oh. You know, so um, the 19-year-old's going to go back to college next year. She's taking a gap year. The 17-year-old's a senior. She's got scholarships to a lot of local uh, colleges here. So she's going to have to make a choice soon. Mm. And the 16 year old, the junior is going to take college classes next year as a senior. So, yeah. So my busy time of going to cheerleading, um, swim prep, swim meets, um, gymnastic meets, volleyball meets, mm. theater, music, band, that's uh, that's coming to an end here. So, oh boy, you're gonna have all this time. You're not gonna know what to do with it. Are are any of your kids aspire? I, I am. Are any of your kids uh, thinking about going the chiropractic route or PT route or anything? None of them. No, none of them. I think they grew up with it. That it's so common that they didn't want to pursue mm. it. Like they grew up in the weight room, and uh, only one of them, Sammy, did a powerless to meet when she was 12. Um, but after that, they were like, nah, this is, they grew up with all the meatheads, the muscle mm-hmm. heads. The funny thing is I can never get them in the weight room, but in every one of their sports in school, their varsity sports, they had to do, they had to work out in the weight room. So they're walking around correcting everyone's uh-huh. form. And uh, just because they grew up in the weight room, I throw them in the corner with a blanket and some treats and toys and say, you know, you guys stay there. <laughs> You know. They picked up a few things. I my dad is you don't know this about oh, me, yeah. but my father. Do you know what a taxidermist is? Yeah, yeah. 
I see dead things on the wall behind you. Uh, uh, well, those are deer skulls, but I guess technically. But, yeah, my dad is a taxidermist okay. full-time. He's had his own taxidermy business since I was in diapers, basically. He was an auto mechanic, very blue-collar, started playing around, like, tax, doing taxidermy on his own. And eventually now he's busier than he ever wants to be. But he always wanted me to take over the family business. He's like, well, Kirk, you're going to take over the family business. And I learned taxidermy. I... You know, I even worked for him for an entire summer in college, like got paid to do it with him. And I was like, that's your path, Dad. That ain't, that ain't my path, Dad. I, I can't do it. <laughs> so I kind of get it a little bit. But it's very different, very different professions. Well, it, and again, they, they're, it's not the same passion. For me, it's a passion. Right. Um, for them, it's always just been a choice of health care and like, why would you want to work someplace where all people do is complain to you all day long? <laughs> Touche. You know, I never thought of that. I've been doing it for 31 years. You look at it differently. You have the rose tinted glasses on in there then. My my dad says his taxidermy yeah. is a work of art. He brings animals back to life and he views himself as an artist. And I can see it and he's very good at it. But wow. playing with dead things all day is not my avenue to art, I think. <laughs> but um, Okay. Yes, and perspective is everything. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you know this? So uh, I I can't imagine you listen to our podcast, but uh, we're talking to Dr. Fred Clary today. Um, do you prefer Dr. Do you prefer Dr. Clary? Fred, what do you prefer? Fred. Fred. That's I good. still call you Dr. Clary. I only make my kids call me Dr. Clary. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, well, your your episode, we actually still refer to once in a while, and it got like very good response from our running audience and people have suggested having you back on and i just wanted to give you some space because secretly i haven't held up my end of the bargain because you've been asking me to be on your podcast and we haven't aligned and so i was like oh i don't even know if i can ask him to come on again because i haven't gone on his but then i just had to had to so thank you Uh, well no it's an honor to be on the podcast and unfortunately, no, I do not listen to you weekly. Um, I'm afraid I'll get too skinny and, and fast. So, oh, yeah. you know. Heaven forbid. So for those of you who don't know, I, we did an episode with you maybe two years ago, year and a half ago. Right? Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. About that long. Time flies. And you just real talk to people about like, you want to be better. This is how like you were talking about the 120% rule, 110% rule. And you were talking about these things that really resonated with a lot of people. In fact, I went through my email inbox just before we got on and I just typed in your name, Dr. Clary in my, and you popped up from like two or three dozen of my athletes referencing you in their email bodies to me at some point in the last two years. So clearly whatever you had said had resonated. And I was like, well, I got to pick this guy's brain a little more. So that's why I wanted you on today. Is that cool? Okay. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was. I, I had uh, messaged you before and said, "Is there any tough questions coming?" And I'm like, "I don't think there'd be anything tough." And it's better to get it off the cuff because uh, usually when I'm coaching or training strength or endurance athletes, um, the scientific jargon—it's fun. Um, I geek out on it. You geek out on mm-hmm. it. But can they do it? Is <laughs> the thing. Can they reproduce it? Yeah. Yeah, and why don't well why don't you tell why don't you tell everybody um, first of all uh, you're you're one of few non runners we've had on the podcast you don't run 
And um, no, I I am doing a stationary bike now. Okay. I'm committed to lose like 50, 60 pounds by uh, Christmas. So I will be dropping a few uh, powerlifting weight classes. Oh. Um, but that's only because, eh, you know, I'm 55. I don't need to hold this kind of super heavy weight. weight. I don't need to be strong enough to walk through walls and, you know, be, not be afraid of locked doors. You know, I just, <laughs> it's, it's time to get a healthier weight. Yeah. Because even though I got fat, I got a lot of muscle on me, my heart and lungs still have to supply yep. it. So it's time, all right, I got to lose some of this. So, yeah. But no, I don't run. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran maybe in high school a little bit. Um, maybe ran away from some cops when oh, I was younger. Yeah. So maybe that was it. But uh, no, I don't run. Um, um, just for people listening, yeah. um, you want me to give some background? Well, I'm actually want to dive into your background today a little more. But... Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, that's what I was actually hoping to do. So, Dr. Claire, you are a, would you call it a neurological chiropractor? What would be the exact, how would you, what would you give yourself or what is the title? Yeah. So, I'm a chiropractic neurologist, neurologist. which means I have more training after graduation in the specialty of neurology. Um, I focus on treating people with brain injuries, movement disorders like Parkinson's, Huntington's, dystonia, tics. Um, Tourette's, mm. uh, I work with post-stroke is my favorite. Um, I have a lot of training in that. And for years and years, I uh, went all around the country and taught neurology to other chiropractors, medical doctors. We get a dentist in there once in a mm. while, podiatrist. But I taught continuing ed um, in the field of neurology. Um, so it's something that really sparks my interest um, I got into chiropractic because I was working in physical therapy, wanted to be a cardiologist, and a chiropractor helped me as mm-hmm. I was retiring from powerlifting at age 20. I had already had like seven years of competition under my belt at age 20. So I decided, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm too hurt. And a chiropractor helped me. So I kind of redesigned where I was going to go. And I was really shocked at how, you know, my neurological and I didn't know at the time, the training that I used at a young age matched how the neurology of the body, your nervous system mm. works. Um, a lot of my training was based on Russian, Bulgarian methods and not the, the Western periodization jump. And uh, not saying that doesn't work for people, uh-huh. but even endurance athletes um, can learn something from uh, some of these methods. Funny you use the word periodization. It's a very trendy word to use in the endurance coaching space or in the cyclical strength space, right? It and is. people who don't know, and I've used it. I'm guilty as anybody. It's like I can just tell somebody who doesn't know very much about training. I can use the word periodization. I'll make you a periodized plan, and their eyes get real big, and they're like, "Ooh, periodized. What is that?" But really, obviously, there's other. <laughs> it's kind of a what would be the word? I don't know. Not, it's not a cheap word because it, there's some value to it's it. It's a black and white TV compared to a 4K sure. is what it is. Okay. Well, it just, it makes, it made, it's like, it's, it's, um, you can fake intelligence with using that word. That my girls would use the term legacy. 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 <laughs> it's, it's great legacy work. Hmm. Yeah. I don't you mind know, that. It's old. Um, it, it, that it works for, for, I would say beginning athletes, and maybe middle athletes, you know, middle of the road, but elite athletes, you're not, unless you're genetically gifted, um, you're not, you're not going to get anything from it. In fact, it's counterproductive. And unfortunately, America and, you know, parts of Canada 
the Western, the Western um, a- athletic system has been so trained in it that, you know, it, it's hard to overcome it. That's why we have to use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, I use, I actually use the word waves. We're going to do it in waves. Huh. We're going to cycle. We're going to wave. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this stuff is as old as the USSR and that country doesn't exist anymore. You know? Well, I want to dive into this. This is actually the direction I want to go um, eventually. Well, soon. I'm going to hold us back just a sec because I have two questions, two things I want to say off the cuff. One um, is, you know what's interesting about you? And this is me coming to you. I tried I tried to get in with you, by the way, to get I need my I need an adjustment like nobody else's business. So I'm going to try to get in with you tomorrow. But it's interesting because and I, okay. this is a I mean, this is a very good thing. I can go. I've gone into other chiropractors in the past and they can spend a half an hour with me and they can tell me the things and do the things and put me on the stem and did did did. But you know what, Dr. Clary, I can go and see you for 30 seconds sometimes and be fixed better than somebody who spends an hour with me. Actually, every time I'm like, I'm like, first of all, I'm busy. I don't need to waste my time with frills. I come in, you put your hands on my back, you feel some things out. You're like, ooh, ooh, what's that? Ooh. And you crack it or adjust it. Sorry, I don't like the word crack, I think. And then I move on and I'm like, I don't need to spend, like you just intuitively go to and do exactly what my body needs. And it's absolutely astounding. It's almost like witchery or voodoo. The fact that you can feel what's going on. What's that about? Thank you. What's that about? Tell me what that's about. How do you know? You just. Um, I actually invented my own technique. Oh, 20, 25 years ago, Kurt. And they forced me to teach it about 15 years ago. Okay. It's called functional analysis and it's based on movement and breathing. So there's patterns of movement, patterns of breathing that upright walkers, hominids is a fancy name for us. We walk on our two feet bipedal. Mm-hmm. And there's patterns of movement and breathing. And if you memorize them all, you know exactly what's wrong with someone. So if you if I can look at someone and within two or three footsteps know where their weakness is and their problem is, because I've watched so many times and I teach this technique. I've been teaching this oh yeah for 15 years, a good 15 years. I wrote a book. In 2006 on it, um, it's sold out. Every copy sold out. I just, you know, it's a little tiny manual, mm-hmm. but uh, apparently it, it caused a stir in chiropractic. Um, but basically you learn how to read the body. Um, a good example would be professional baseball. All your professional baseball pitching coaches are like over 60 or 70. You see this old man and they're old. Mm-hmm. Now the managers can be younger. But the pitching coaches are always, always older. That's because they can tell where that ball's going to go before it leaves the pitcher's hand because they look at elbow angles, wrist angles, hip angles. They've done it intuitively, as you would mm-hmm. say, thousands of reps. Why well, is it intuition or 40 years of experience, mm-hmm. right? And they could say, nope, you got to raise your elbow. You know, your shoulder's too tired. You know, go warm up your hip. They know that this old crotchety guy and they just listen to him. Well, it's very similar that, you know, like there's some good gait analysis um, professionals in your profession. Mm-hmm. And they get that over and over again by watching gate, watching gate, getting on a computer and watching gate. Um, funny story. Years ago, when my uh, my guru, Dr. Joseph Swery, 
was still alive. He died a couple years ago. He was a chiropractor from Owatonna, and he worked at the chiropractic college. And he ran a gait analysis center there. So I walk into his friend, you got to come check it out. Okay, I will. And they have cameras at all kinds of angles and all that and the treadmill and, you know, little dots to put on there, you know, the mm -hmm. thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm like, I walked in and I had, I had my, uh, probably she was just dating. I was just dating my soon to be wife with me. You know, we're walking around, we're going to have lunch with uh, this, you know, senior guru in chiropractic. And I go, Joe, this is wrong. I said, you need to move this camera here, this camera here, this camera there. And I said, the calculations could be wrong in knee angle. And he looked at me and they, he said, Fred, we've had four PhD engineers come through. And I said, I don't give a shit. I've treated over 10,000 people. And this is what you need to do. Of course, they changed it and, and corrected the, the formula in the computer. So I would say it's a little bit of science, a little bit of art, mm -hmm. you know, um, what I do when I treat someone so quickly. But the focus is, too, I've, I always wanted to be efficient. I don't want to go in the gym for four and a half hours. I go in the gym. My workout is usually over in about an hour. Then I coach for three mm -hmm. hours, you know. But if your body needs that much work, you're doing something wrong. Even if you're an endurance athlete, there's got to be a more efficient way. And when I say efficient, I do not mean length of time. I mean, are you wasting any effort? Mm. You cannot waste effort if you're an athlete because any effort, wasted effort pulls your progress back. Does that make sense? Yeah, it'd be like... Be like if I'm a marathoner and I'm spending 30 minutes in the gym doing bicep curls. It'd be like that time yes, and exactly. energy resource could be much better spent doing something else. That would be inefficient training, yes. I assume. Exactly. exactly. Well, the interesting thing so, just here. So that's that's how I look at all the training. Well, no, that makes sense. The interesting thing Go is ahead, like – um, you know, I remember one time I walked in and you're like, oh, what's wrong with your neck? And I we, I hadn't even laid down on the table yet. You were like, what'd you do to your neck? And I was like, what do you mean? And of course I went in because I was having issues. And it must have been the way I was walking or the way I turned my body. And then um, a patient used yeah. to treat, and she was actually a guest on this podcast, um, which we had a really nice conversation about being back of the Packers. But uh, Diane Miller, you treated Diane Miller. Um, and she walked in one day. You probably don't remember this because you probably had this conversation all the time with people. Um, and she had something going on with her shoulder and you were working with her on that stuff and it was all really messed up. It was flared up and you walked and you said, Oh, let's see you're saying like, I don't feel so good. You're like, why would it be acted? You're asking her like, what could it be backed up for? And you go, have you been eating a lot of sugar? And that was your first go-to question was like, have you been eating a lot of sugar? And she's like, shit, I've been eating a lot of sugar. She had fallen off the rails with her nutrition and I've been eating a bunch of sugar and it flared up in the two days. And We've worked on that since, and there's a direct correlation between all the sugar and obviously systemic inflammation. And the first question you asked her was, like, nobody would ask somebody when their shoulder hurts if they've been eating a lot of sugar. And that was the first thing you asked her. Well, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Where does that come from? It, that's still experience in how you move. So when you're inflamed, when you're inflamed, your gait changes. And so... What does that look like, Fred? What are you talking about? Well, you, you, you know, we're not gods. We're not angels. We're humans. We have limited resources we use minute to minute, hour to hour. Neurotransmitters, carbohydrates, glucose. So we're, our nervous system is just trying to run this computer, this machine, as efficiently as it can. 
Well, if you got inflammation somewhere, guess what? That takes priority over, say, shoulder movement. Mm. Who cares about shoulder abduction if my, all my cells are inflamed? So a lot of times when someone comes in and I've been working and they're starting progress and all of a sudden they go backwards and I'm like, if you're following what I said, and which means changing your activities of daily living, you're not being stupid with the joint, you're not lifting too much, you're doing the stretches I tell you to do, then it has to be metabolic. Mm. And that's usually dead on. And, and almost every athlete, you can see it. Oh, you started eating like crap. Oh, yeah, I had a birthday party. Oh, you know, I went out last night and had a couple of drinks with the girls. Well, guess what? You know, now you're going backwards, you know. Mm. It, so to, that connection between metabolism, athletic performance, you know, nervous system function, you can't take those apart. They are married. They're intertwined. They're interdependent. And that's how... You should approach any training. That's how you should approach your healthcare. I someone came in like, oh, I'm getting a cold again, and I go, okay, what's your diet like? Well, my diet's perfect, and they showed it to me. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. How often are you moving? What? Well, it's cold outside mm -hmm. and it's snowing all the time. We got a snowstorm coming in tomorrow. It's like it's snowing again. I don't want to go outside. You got a car? You can get to the mall, put on some shoes, mm -hmm. and walk. You ever heard and of a said, gym? You're not moving enough. That's yeah, that's why you have a cold. And they said, Dr. Claire, you're weird. You're telling me because I don't walk enough, I got a cold. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's all related. Can you um can you look at somebody like let's say I walk in the door tomorrow to get adjusted? Could you just could you just if you really looked at me, could you tell if I've been taking care of myself or not? Just by how I look, or would, is that harder to tell? Yes. Like in general. No, 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 it is. Your breathing changes. So so how should you breathe? The best efficient mechanical breathing is low and slow. So it comes up below your belly button, not above it, below your belly button. Actually, when you, when you first go to inhale, there's movement of the pelvic diaphragm, not your respiratory diaphragm. People don't realize that. You know, we have two diaphragms. Mm. So there's movement to pull your organs down. That assists your respiratory diaphragm. Well, if I don't see any movement low and slow, I know you're not taking care of yourself. Mm. If you're in pain, you get these real shallow breaths up here, but there's a way to read. And it's just like if I was, uh, I don't know, uh, an FBI um, analysis where they look at micro expressions, that person's lying, this, that. I'm looking at bigger picture. You're moving terribly. You're breathing terribly. Something's wrong. Mm. Now, this, this isn't pain. You're not eating well. You know, something's in there. And a lot of times you, you can you can read that, especially if you've been seeing them for a while. Oh, yeah, you know, something changed. Once I get that person's regular breathing pattern down, then, you know, any change, any variation from that, you know, you can see. Hmm. It's amazing to me that people walk around for 80 years on this earth. They know more about their job. They may know about how to program a running program, um, but they don't know how their body works, their signature. Okay, what foods are good for you? Mm. How much sleep do you need? Well, I don't know. I get the seven. Eight. No, how much do you need? And they don't even know. Okay, what foods can't you eat? You know, usually when you're in 34, say, yeah, I can't have anchovies or I can't have peppers or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm lactose intolerant. And I'm like, are you lactose intolerant or is it the milk protein? Is it the whey? Is it the casein? Have you figured that out? More people know how their cars work than their own personal body. 
which, you know, we just went through a pandemic and that just shows it. No one knew how their immune system worked. I, I went crazy when people said, oh, we need to get antibodies. And I'm not talking about vaccine or no mm-hmm. vaccine debate. I'm just saying, well, you know, your antibodies are your second line of defense. Your T cells, specialized white cells, are your first line of defense. That's what you need to strengthen first. You know, it's not either or, it's mm-hmm. both. But it, it, what blew my mind is no one knew, knew. And I'm like, did you go to high school? Did anyone pay attention in class? And apparently we forget all those things. Well, it, it does matter when people are shutting down businesses. And it does matter when you're sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And understanding how your body works, your nervous system works, does matter. If you're training for, you know, Kona and mm-hmm. doing a big triathlon, those things do matter. Um, and what a lot of times what we do is just put our hands or put our whole bodies into the hands of authority figures who are as clueless as you are. <laughs> so it's that's I, I go around sometimes and I, I have to close my eyes in the gym. I see trainers and they're giving their clients bad form. They're wrecking them. I mean, just not biomechanically wrecking their joints, but, you know, wrecking their metabolism. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, you should use intermittent fasting. Well, that works for 80 percent of the people. What do you do for 20 percent? Oh, I don't know. I think it works for everyone. No, it worked for a bunch of people, Mm. but it may not work for this person. How do you know? So a lot of times I look at that and I'm like, I just have to walk away at this age now. I get too angry. I got to watch my blood pressure. <laughs> well, that's what losing that weight is for, I guess. It's an interesting thing yeah. when you say like uh, people people know way more about their jobs or how to fix their cars than their own bodies. That's like a really scary thing to think about, but it is true. I will say to piggyback that it's also like, you know, it's a lot easier – it's a lot easier to figure that why it's easier to figure that shit out from the outside looking in, right? Like when you're living it and looking through the world through your own eyes and you're breathing through your own nose and mouth into your own lungs and you don't have it. Sometimes it takes that step back from somebody else to, to help shake you back to reality. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's always tough. I don't think you can be your own doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can be your own coach. And even like with my kids, you know, I'm a damn good chiropractor. I got chiropractor of the year, some some piece of plastic. I thought it was fake, but I guess it's real. Um, but my own kids, uh, the, the 19-year-old's off to her chiropractic visit. Because sometimes, you know, I want another set of eyes on that. That's just smart. My wife, who's ranked 10th in the world in powerlifting, she has her own coaches. I'm allowed to say a couple things, even though I've been doing it for 40-some years. But... You know, I am not allowed to coach her. One, that's be- good for our marriage. But two, mm-hmm. like you said, it's better when you're on the outside. I'm too close to to make, you know, yep. those little yep. detail tweaks. Can I get 80, 90% of it correct? Oh, absolutely. But that doesn't put you at the elite level. You know, I put you at the state level, the local level. You know, if you want to be national or international, whatever sport you're doing, you know, you need that little tweak. And what, what blows my mind is why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want to shoot for the stars and hit the moon? When I talk to people that I'm coaching, I do some life coaching, whatever. I said, okay, let's, let's set up a transformation. Why don't you set up and say you want to change your body, go into a bodybuilding contest and, and let's go for the Mr. Minnesota or Miss Minnesota title. I don't want to get up there. Stop. You're not hearing me. I want you to train like you're training for that. Mm. Because guess what? If you get halfway, you win. 
It's kind of like the overtraining 110% principle I talked about, systemized overtraining, where, you know, all right, now I'll work with someone. We had a, a gal who came in and Tuesday night, just last Tuesday, two, day, two days ago, she, her first time PR squat was 80 pounds. And she goes, how can I work with you guys? Because, you know, we we, uh, we use the same rack. Mm-hmm. So she had to follow someone who just popped a 750, right? Mm. And she goes, I, I just don't understand. It's like, well, we treat everyone the same. We give the same coaching. You know, if your knee and foot's in the wrong place, we're going to tell you. And I said, we all started here. I mean, my wife squatted, like, I think, 120 pounds in her first meet eight, nine years ago. And now she's popping 600s at 148 body weight. Unbelievable. And again, she it, she was scared. I don't want to train with you guys. And I'm like, no, it's it's why wouldn't you want to train for the nationals? When she joined our powerlifting team, we we're like, okay, let's pick a national meet and get you there. Well, I have to go to the state meet to get qualified. Well, of course, mm-hmm. but we're training for the national meet. And it took her only two years to get to that level. So it's not it's not voodoo. It's just smart. Because what happens is, you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to, you know, become if you're if you're doing, you know, Spartan races that you do? Well, I want to win all the local races in my category, in my in my age or whatever sex category. And I'm like, OK, great. Train for that. As opposed to someone says, I just want to get in shape. Mm-hmm. I want to take off that 20 pounds that I couldn't get rid of from the last kid I had. I'm like, that is such a low bar. And I don't understand that psychology, Kurt. I just don't. Mm -hmm. Why would you put the bar so low? Because your nervous system, all it does is adapt, right? I I mean, the whole history of of the human race is adaptation. The first rule of biology is adaptation through natural selection we call evolution. So... You know, the the giraffe with the longest neck could get more food off the tall trees. And he got to procreate and pass that trade on. And the necks kept getting longer. That's how it works. Well, then why wouldn't you use that adaptation and adapt? So I want to be state champion, national champion. You know, I'm going to um, this triathlon. We, we have some friends that do triathlons. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm ready for Hawaii. I'm practicing holding my cup of water out. You know, because that's what I wanted. I want to see you there. Uh-huh. And, you know, for a while, her attitude was, oh, I just want to do this local show. It's so hard to get there. And I'm like, yes, it is hard to get there. But if you set up your training plan, hey, this is going to take five years and I'm going to go here. Guess what? Our bodies adapt. You you can't go against evolution. And that's what's really cool. I don't care what your psychology is, that your mom and dad didn't love you enough. You're depressed. You got anxiety. I, I work too much. I got too many children. I don't have enough time. All those excuses don't change the biology that me and you share, Kurt. Believe it or not, we have similar biology and nervous system. You could be big and strong and squat 900, or I could run forever like a gazelle like you do. It's just the training and the environment and time that it would take to get there. We both could do it. And I, I think that's one thing that a lot of, lot of your listeners may not realize is that that potential is in everyone when you apply and individualize that program. Mm-hmm. I had an athlete uh, an intake like a month or two ago, and this is a back half age grouper, we'll call it. In our sport, you have like the pro level, okay. and then the next tier is age group, and then the rest is open. Fun runners, we'll call it. And so he's back end okay. of age group, and he had no business saying this to me, and he said, the only thing I ask is that you train me like I'm a pro athlete. Treat me like I'm one of them. 
And although that can get people in yes. trouble with overtraining syndrome too early or injury. Yes. So I, of course I tempered my enthusiasm slightly. And really he had no place saying that in the sense is his results haven't proven that he is ready for that. But his yeah. mindset was right out of the gates. Like let's shoot for the stars. And we've been training that way since he hopped on board, of course, again, with like a smart approach, not, not throwing him off the deep end and saying, see if you can swim. But nonetheless, like that, yeah, that kind of mindset, yeah. it's hard to see. It's all about Alex. Well, yeah. And I, I, um, yeah. <clears throat> I think like, cause I get it probably more than you do. Cause I, I like personal training, you tend to get a lot of weight loss, general fitness. I know you're working with a lot of performance yeah. and in the running space I am, but at my personal training business, I am, I am not working on performance as much. I'm working on health, let's call it. But everybody walks in the door. Yeah, I want to lose 10 or 15 pounds. I had my third kid, uh, the same story you give me. And I say, well, okay, that's great. But like, we, we need a performance goal because if we have a performance yes. goal, yes. the byproduct of training for that will be everything you want and more. So let's, we got to aim for something other than just the 10 or 15 pounds. Like those performance goals, like you said, I find 10 out of 10 times, if somebody sets their mind to their performance goal, they reach any other physical goal along the way, typically, and then some, and then they actually can do something with their body instead of just look at it. Do you know what I'm saying there? Amen, brother. I mean, I, I hope there's more trainers like you out there. So you have to have a goal. And this, this goes beyond everything, but I'm going to throw a little neurology here. Mm -hmm. our, our brain, you know, is set up on goals. I'm going to get up in the morning and go do this. If we go back, say, 10, 20,000 years ago, it was get up, get some food, avoid getting eaten, you know? Mm -hmm. So we always had these big goals. When you don't have a goal, that's why it doesn't work. I want to lose 10 pounds. That's not a big enough goal. I want to go play with my grandkids and I want to lose 10 pounds. Wow. You want to get down on your hands and knees and play with the grandkids. That's a great mm. goal. Let's go for it. And it's, and we can measure that, right? Mm. Does it hurt when you get down on all fours still? Yep. Yeah, all right. We're not there yet. You know, so mm. that, and again, I would say that's even a smaller goal, right? You know, when they say something like that, that, that in that example, I would say, okay, grandpa, here's what I want you to do. How about you get in such good shape that you can take your kids for a bike ride around the park. What a bigger goal. Mm. I really love that performance goal because if we train you for the bike ride around the park, guess what? You'll be able to play with the toys on the floor with them, mm. you know? So that's, that's, that's exactly why, you know, I'll give you an example. This is true history. Um, six, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, before I started training back in powerlifting, a friend of mine called me and said, Fred, I'm doing the state powerlifting meet. You know, I, I know of your name, blah, blah, blah. Can you meet me there and coach me through it? I have nobody. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'll come up. So I came up and I ran into an old friend I used to compete against in the 90s. He was training, Brad Crutch. I was uh, coaching Mike Musselman. He's another doctor. And so I'm coaching these two through. Someone comes up to me and says, Fred, why aren't you training anymore? Well, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing things, raising kids. And then the uh, our coach James Burdett of Nemesis Powerlifting came up to me and says, Fred, you should, you should come train with us because we only train for world meets. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I can train with you because I have no, no desire to pick up a trophy for winning the, you know, deadlift championship of Little Canada, Minnesota. <laughs> you know, it means nothing. Mm -hmm. But 
big performance goal for me is world championships. Let me beat beat that nasty Ukrainian or that spicy German who who has the flippant mouth. I love going against him. Yeah. You know that that that's big of a goal. My kids say, "Well, Papa, why are you always doing that?" And I said, "Because when it when I have to get up in the morning and I go to work and I'm like." I really don't feel like working out. I'm like, okay, one, I have a team waiting for me, but two, I have this big goal. And I wonder if my competition's skipping this day. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. So, and, and that goal drives you. And then when you start getting close to that goal, you get that momentum and then you're unstoppable. And that feeling, because we have so much tragedy in the news today, mm-hmm. that feeling of going toward sustainable, verifiable goals you get so much dopamine and serotonin. You're not doing crimes. You're not doing bad things. You're actually a healthy member of the community. Mm-hmm. You smile more. You have more joy in life. Why wouldn't you want that? All based on exercise, athletic performance, and goals. That is, and that's easy. It doesn't cost much, you know? It costs a little bit of discipline. And where is your discipline going to be lost if you yeah. don't have something to look forward to or to look at? Do you think... So I had this vision in my head, by the way, I was going to start, we we're going to talk about, I wanted you to build some credibility with how much of a badass power lifter you are. And I want, cause you are like the things you've accomplished. And here we are just diving into the weeds right away. I was trying to like slow us down. So, and now you just keep making me curious about things. So way to go. And I still want to talk about those things, but, um, what was my question? Now I lost my train of thought. What you did that to me. Well, I'll, I'll let you think. So for credibility, I started powerlifting when I was 13. Um, by the time I was 17, 18, I was the strongest teenager in the world, strongest junior lifter in the world. I was the first teenager to deadlift 800 pounds. How'd you get into that? My Let me stop you. Why, why the heck did you How start? Did that? yeah. oh, that's a fun story. That's That's got some neurology perspective. Um, I grew up in a rough section of Baltimore. And Baltimore's still rough, you know, to drive through my neighborhood. I got to get my kids up early on a Saturday morning. Papa, why do we have to go up? You want to see my old house? We're going in the morning. Safer, you know? Okay, well, anyways, so I'm going to interrupt you. For the listeners, I guess we're going to dive into the past now, and then we're going to pick up all my curiosities after you you tell us your upbringing. (laughs) Um, I wasn't going to force you into it, but you went right for it. Now I'm on it, so I want to hear. Okay, so anyways, you you grew up in a rough part of Boston. Baltimore, Baltimore, I mean. Baltimore, sorry. Baltimore. So, yeah, Baltimore, Maryland. So, long story short, um, my uncle dropped me off at the YMCA so I'd have something to do, kids get involved. Well, I wandered into the weight room one time, and there's all these monsters. And I'm like, I want to do this. So, I started working out with them. And my uncle had been a bodybuilder back in the 50s and 60s. So, he had muscle magazines around. So, I was interested in it. But I didn't want to do, you know, get up on stage with a swimsuit on and pose. I wanted to move weight. Was your build? So did hard, you? I might interrupt you a few times. Was was your build? Were you like, oh, I'm a I'm a thicker kid, so to speak, at that point, like, or not really? Oh no, I was, I was about six foot five eleven, maybe 160 pounds. Okay, I was a, I got beat up, I got picked on a lot huh. in eighth and ninth grade. Um, cause I had an attitude, but I didn't have the body to carry it. So I mm. got knocked out a lot. Okay. And so, so I was trying to build up my body and they said, well, Fred, you know, you've been hanging out enough. And I was talking about school a little bit. You've been hanging out enough. 
we want to we want you to be compete in the Maryland's championship because in powerlifting you get points for placings. First place carries the most points, second, third, fourth, so on. And we lost the state title, team title by one point. So powerlifting, just like swimming, is an individual game, but also a team oh. game. You know, they count all the points. So so I said, all right, I'll do it. So I was all excited. I got my little singlet on and my belt. My mom took me down there. It's probably 13 or 14. I get out of the car and my uh, training partners are like, Fred, what are you doing? You got a DUI? DUI? I'm 14. <laughs> so they, they thought I was talking about college. They thought I was 18 or 19, you know, because so I just trained. And uh, I, I think I got like. So a, they wouldn't let you compete third, or would they let you seven. compete? Oh, they did. Okay. And oh, they did. They did. And to understand, these gym so, bros, we'll call them at the time, that's not what they are, but they took you under the, their wing. You had some mentors in the gym oh, that yeah. were not related oh, yeah. to you, guys that saw you in there and were like, could tell you had an attraction to it, and they, they took you under their wing. At Bob Root. So if you Google him, Bob Root, R O O D, he's passed away now under open powerlifting statistical form. It has almost all the stuff from the eighties and nineties in it, but it has ever meet that's ever been done. Hmm. He's probably got 70 meets in there. He won the masters um, nationals and worlds like 20 times. So he, he took me under his wing and I learned everything from him. Well, that first meet, I did what I had to do. We won the team title. By the time I'm 15, 16, I'm beating other teens and a couple men. By the time I was 17, 18, I was beating the men. And by the time I was 19, I was winning the open um, and the state regional level, all those levels. So were you doing the, you know, I'm going to keep interrupting. Were you doing the big three or how are those measured? Those big, big three, three which, yeah. squat, bench, and okay. deadlift. So, you, so when powerlifting, you get three attempts, you got to get at least one big move forward and squat, bench, and deadlift. They total that and the highest total per weight class wins right. that weight class, you know, just like Olympic lifting. So, so yeah, I, you know, moved up. I had fun with it. I was in college. I injured my hip and it was a chiropractor that helped me, not a PT or medical doctor. So that's how I got into that. But I grew up when powerlifting was his infancy. Then after chiropractic school, I came back, did some more, was squatting around like 950, still point eight hundred. My shoulders bothered me. I was only benching around five, um, still set national records. And the last time I was at an event was November 2022. I just did bench and I won the Masters. We're old, you know, 55 and over bench press worlds, you know. So I still compete. Or it was. I'm going to take this year off. Mm. But I still compete. I still keep my eyes on it. I hang out with some of the strongest humans in the world. My wife's programmer and coach um, was Dave Hoff. He's the strongest power in the world. He squats 1262, 1267, benches 1,003, and pulls like 900 at like 300-pound body weight or 290. Is that – I'm going to um, interrupt again. So this is crazy. Is that typical? You know, people listening to me, they're like – is that typical when you guys get no, real? Well, no, no, not those numbers. I know those numbers are super atypical. But when you're a human, maybe more like I am, you're going to deadlift more than you squat. You're going to squat more than you bench. And then you're going to bench is going to be third. And you keep giving me these numbers where the squat is ahead of the deadlift. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. normal among, oh, yeah. amongst so the, the top end powerlifters? Huh. It, it's switched now. Squat is the top end now. And that's only because... We've learned better form. 
we keep the bar path up and down like a Smith machine. We don't bend forward. Mm. It's more of a hamstring glute exercise than a quad exercise. The quads are used as stabilizers now, not prime movers. So things have totally changed. Mm. So the shape of powerlifters have changed. It's funny because back in the 80s, they just look like big, thick bodybuilders, mm. right? Lean. Now they all have a little belly on them, a little tank, big glutes, big hamstrings. It's almost like we want a one-to-one ratio, um, quad to hamstring, believe it or not. Mm. Like you can leg extension and leg curl the same amount. And, you know, I'm reaching back and feeling mine now. They're a little small, but I used to have them the size of two grapefruits. And, you know, I I could flex my hamstring and it looked like a little basketball there. That's how strong or how how it's changed a little bit and how, you know, morph- morphometrically, you know, we change our bodies to match the sport, mm. you know, a little bit to, to improve leverages. But- so, yeah. So I've the weird thing about me being a freak, I've only hung out with the fastest, the strongest and the best in sports, you know, my entire life. I have a jaded view of everything because – when someone says, oh, I can't do that, I'm like, oh, my God. Really? Do you know you're strong enough to pick up a car? I hang out with strong men that pick up and flip cars, mm-hmm. you know? It's like you just have to get the training done right. So a lot of that is mental. But like you said, a lot of it is a definable, big enough goal that drives – you have to have a, a, a goal that drives you, makes you passionate about mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about that goal, you, you'll get around your tribe – of other people that are just as passionate and that'll push you and you'd be amazed at what your body can do. You'll be shocked. Well, speaking of what bodies can do, my next question was what are your lifetime bests in the bench squat and deadlift? I mean, I don't know these answers. So my best I ever did in a meet was nine forty in the squat back in the early nineties. And that's when, uh, you know, basically knee wraps didn't even help. Mm. People have knee sleeves now that help way too mm. much. You know, yeah. it's amazing. My best bench ever was 550 as a teenager. Then I tore my pack. Uh, so I'm always fighting that. And I think I've deadlifted 804 or 810 oh, in contests, meets, probably 15, 20 times. And I've pulled 840 in the gym many times. Wow. So Those are some big numbers. And that's not even good nowadays. I remember. Those were big numbers in the 80s. Right before. But not right now. Bef- Everyone that- Right before I started um, really focusing on my endurance training again in like 2016, I was focused on my big three. And the sounds so embarrassing now that I hear those numbers, but we're in different places. But my big goal was to break a thousand in the big yeah. three to start a thousand. And here I'm thinking like, where was Cl- the total? Where was okay, wow. where was Clary at? He was probably at 2300, 20 something like for total pounds and yeah, something like 2200 something like that we had a we had a thousand pound yeah. club at I mean, the gym and if you were in the thousand pound and then you had a 1500 pound club and i don't think we had anybody in the two that wasn't that didn't good. exist but anyways for me I, I made it to 1100 and i was like i'm the man i am the man at 1100 <laughs> and you had double that it's just wild to me I almost did that in my squat. We have you knock it off there. You knock it off there. I I almost did that in my squat. Yeah, I I interviewed uh, Brian Carroll on my Mm -hmm. uh, my podcast that you haven't been on Mm -hmm. yet. Um, He squatted thirteen oh six in a contest. It's the heaviest squat ever done. 
1306. Wow. Yeah, and that's, um, yeah, I think I was like... And I got video of it. I think I was deadlifting like 415, squatting 320. It was not much. I mean, I was still endurance training, but for me, and I benched 300 even, which is, oh, just no. shows how... Which is bizarre. But again, that... But that, but that is... Um, that's the, uh, the, the sad principle, specific adaptation right, right. to impose demands, SAAID. You know, you're, you're doing exactly what you wanted to do. And that's pretty strong for an endurance athlete. That's almost like, you know, cross-trained a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, there's no way, you know, there's no way you take Brian Carroll, who just squatted, say, 1,300 pounds, and have him run around the block a few times. He couldn't do mm. it. He'd destroy his knees, right? Yeah. It, so we're all becoming a little more specialists sure. now. And through being specialization, and you know, we through what we call conjugate system, through specialization, you can get really strong. The nervous system can really perform. And it, it's amazing that other, you know, sports haven't learned that. Football players are doing it now. Um, some track and field, you know, they're running with parachutes. They're running with bungee mm-hmm. cords behind them a little bit. And that's, that's just what we do as powerlifters. We've been doing it for decades, you know, putting bungee cords and, and rubber bands and chains mm-hmm. on our bars and using bars that are either too stiff or too janky that whip that you have to learn stabilization on. Now they're doing it in all kinds of sports. I saw, I saw a teenager, he came in the other day and he goes, Dr. Clary, look at my parachute. And I go, oh, that's great. That's conjugate, you know, and he, she goes, what is that? I said, well, you're, you're doing more like isotonic training, you know, as you speed up, the parachute gives you more resistance and maintains a constant speed. And she goes, I just learned all that. Oh my God. And just mm. going on stuff. They said, this is the newest stuff. And I go, well, I did that back in the eighties. <laughs> <You laughs> right. <know>? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You were ahead of the curve there. You know, we, yeah. And again, if you think about it, what, what is new and unique um, may not be so new and unique for your sport because a lot, a lot of our sport, we isolate ourselves, right? You don't see powerlifters get on a running program and vice versa. Right. And for whatever reason, we're not getting that information out there. And I love saying, okay, show me what part of your training, Kurt, will help me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's got to be something in that that will help me be better for what I have to do and vice versa. Yep. You don't want to do the whole program and say, oh, wait a minute. I like how you do this recovery bit. I'm going to, I'm going to modify and use that mm-hmm. because truth is true. We, we have the same biology. So let's work with the biology. Just like you said, you wouldn't put an elite pro routine to a newcomer. You follow their biology. But the thing is they adapt and their biology changes, mm-hmm. hopefully. Right. And you can keep adding things. Well, that's and that's so, the very reason yeah, why we have a. I'm glad I'm on. The it's very why we have a very uh, uh, well educated through life, not only books, power lifter, chiropractor on a running podcast yeah. for that exact thing you just said. And you brought up something that I wanted to ask you yeah. about. And since you just talked about it, you mentioned, you know, like your nervous system or neuromuscularly. You said something about it a couple times about the nervous system, and I, it's one of the topics I wanted to dissect with you today was. Um, because I know you're a neurological chiropractor, um, is we talk about it like I acknowledge the fact that I may be in the dirt for the next three or four days after a big effort. I can feel okay in life walking around like I got my energy back, nothing hurts, and then you go out to work hard again and you lay an egg. You're like, it's not there yet. 
And my curiosity here, same with powerlifting, and I know I know where we're going to go, right, like with this, but I don't know the details. And that is recovering from effort, whether it's a big strength session where the doms has already left, if there is any, right, or a big run session where you go out and pound two hours in the mountains and you descend like you're, somebody's chasing you and your hips are sore and then that all leaves, right? But you're still like, you're like two notches behind where you need to be four or five days later. What I was hoping to dissect with you on that regard is the nervous system fatigue and adaptation versus the muscular soft tissue skeletal, you know, uh, damage and adaptation. Like how much of this, like, for example, and I know the floor is going to be yours in a second, but it's like I can put somebody on a five by five program, a distance runner, which I firmly believe in. And there's some studies that I just read recently about how much more effective heavy strength work was for this subject study of distance runners versus letting them just do a bunch of plyometrics and bodyweight exercises. It was like the, the difference in improvement was astounding, for example. But um, I can give somebody a five by five program, have them running 70 miles a week still. They gain hardly any weight, if any, and they improve their strength by 25%. Yet they're the same weight as they were. And you have to yes. think, well, that's neural, that's neurological adaptation as much or more than anything to create power. And so anyways, I went on a little bit of a spiel there, but like I wanted to dissect the neurological adaptation and recovery and cycle versus structural. Like, I'm sure you have thoughts on it. Oh my goodness. Great, great, great. Well, we could be here for five hours, but <laughs> what the research yeah. shows now for my sport and your sport, that with my sport, it's all neurological. How does, how does Hoff you know, pop 1200 pound squats regularly at 290. Well, he trains at that level so he can do that. You know, that that's totally neurological. The, uh, let me say the big Rammy, who was Mr. Olympia bodybuilder a couple years ago, he weighed 290 on stage. He can't squat a thousand pounds. He could probably do 500 for 15. Right. right? But he can't, he couldn't put that weight on. It would, it would, crush his spine you know where the same gentleman same height same weight you know can can lift that weight what's the difference it's all neurology hmm. it's all neurology now i want to real quick know? real quick question so, then on that really quick you'll have guys like say i weigh i just weighed myself this morning 170 pounds on the head okay um okay i got another guy in the gym uh his name is jeff and he weighs roughly 170 pounds. He's a hair shorter than me, pretty lean. Let's say I can bench press right now. I don't know what I can bench press. Say 260. I have no idea. Not much. I'm not benching much. And he can only bench press 190. And then you got this. Well, you got more your muscle yeah. density, your fibers more dense, or you're, he's just a dense athlete. And I, I've never bought into that. Like some people just are neurologically nope. like I've always been able to crank out more pull-ups or more like than most people like. Does my nervous system yeah. just recognize better yeah. than his, for example, versus like, talk me through that. So, so most of the time when we're lifting heavy weights, your body is inhibiting. Let me get that clear. You are inhibiting. Most of heavy training is learning to disinhibit. Now there's so much high science mm -hmm. with it, but basically your body, you, you put 400 pounds on the ground, you're going to deadlift it. As soon as your body feels that weight, your nervous system unconsciously is trying to shut you down. So you don't hurt yourself. Because it's going to tear. Right. It's going to rip. 
Yes, it's protecting you. It's a survival mechanism. Same thing goes for the runner. Ready for this? You start running at 90, 95% of say, let's just do a sprint, your speed. And we're not, and at that rate, when you're doing a hundred yard sprint, hundred meter sprint, metabolism is what? Tiny, right? Metabolism barriers. So the barriers neurologic. How many fibers in my muscle can I fire? So our nervous system comes into our muscles and wires them all. Most, we do not use every one of them. They take turns firing. And it's, it's a beautiful mosaic and it's pretty to look like, it looks like a Christmas tree going mm. off, all the different things. And you maintain a constant tone. Well, guess what? What if you could fire more of those fibers? Kurt, you just either genetically or you train yourself that you can use more of those. It's not that you gain more mus- cross-dimensional muscle. You've actually trained your nervous system to do more reps, you know, or handle more weight. It has nothing to do, oh, you're just denser. It doesn't work that way. In fact, if you were denser, you'd probably be heavier and weaker, right? Because you're not using all those muscles. So for whatever reason, you can disinhibit. Now, I know that blows everyone in the West away. That includes America, your listeners, (laughs) because we're always trying to do more, right? Do more, do more, do more. Now, the goal is actually do less. Do less what? Inhibiting. You have to. So that's why, like in powerlifting, we'll do overloads, right? So if you want to squat 500 pounds, you got to walk out, maybe do a half squat with 550. So you're not disinhibiting. If you're a sprinter that I work with, I have them sprint slightly downhill. So the weight of gravity pulls them, right? Or with a backwind, right? So they go faster than they really can on a real track. Why? So they learn not to disinhibit, you know, excuse me. They learn to disinhibit. Mm-hmm. They, they're not shutting down their muscles for protection. So it, I live in a different world, Kirk. When I see lifting or I see football or soccer, or some beautiful athletic event, I'm seeing this dance. I actually see it in my mind between contracting, you know, inhibiting, disinhibiting, that flow of muscular activity, to me, it's amazing. It's a beautiful dance. And if you can get good at that dance, if you learn, like, we always, your your sport is full of people thinking it's metabolic. Oh, I'm hitting the wall. It's because my glycogen stores or my mitochondria and my cells are not producing enough ATP. And I go, yeah, that's part of it. But what if you could get your nervous system to turn on those muscle cells that really hasn't fired in the last... 26.2 miles. You mm-hmm. haven't done anything. Turn them on. So a lot of a lot of your best athletes that we would say are genetically gifted, their nervous system is just wired to let, nope, turn off the inhibition. And you hear about this. Oh, grandma flipped over in a car to get the toddler from underneath. Mm-hmm. That's because they disinhibited 100%. People have no clue how strong they are. They have no idea how fast the human body can run. If we go back to caveman times we were built to pick up big rocks and throw them run 30 miles a day without getting out of breath while carrying things you know i don't i mean it's amazing how somehow we were we're a society of amnesia we forgot who we really are and we're lowering the bar it seems every year and that's why i like athletics because i'm seeing the bar continually go ahead but let's look at the Bannister Mile, right? Was that 1950s? Somewhere in there. The first guy, you had MDs, you had PhDs saying, 
No one, the, they were measuring the human body, the nervous system, metabolism. No one can run a four-minute mile. It's impossible, biologically impossible. Bannister ran it. What happened? Now, today, a four-minute mile is what high school kids do now, Five right? of them this year. It's insane. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, so what's that tell you? Was it biologically impossible or was it the way we were training and how, what our mindset is for inhibition, disinhibition, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, I'm going to hit the wall at 20 miles. Not if you think the wall's at 30 miles, you're never hitting. Yeah. It's, you know, train for that. Well, and the peace of mind, like the comforting peace of mind here is it's, you still need to be training, right? Whether you're training, you want to think you're training your muscles oh, and tendons yes. and ligaments or the benefit is coming from neurological adaptation. It's like either way, training needs to happen. And yeah. it's just like, What's actually changing to make us better is the fascinating part. I, I'm like, I'm thinking of two things. One, it's like your circuit breaker in your house. I got one that keeps popping on me, right? It's just like, think I turn on too many things yeah. and I have a space heater in my office here because Minnesota winters are cold. And I turn that space heater on and my freaking circuit breaker shuts off so the house doesn't blow up, right? It's like, I'm thinking of that as like your nervous yeah. system. It's like, no, you're just... You're bulletproofing your circuit breaker so your body doesn't stop itself from doing what it's capable of. It's like, that's how I'm looking at Correct. this right now. Correct. And so I'm curious then. Oh, no, it's 100%. Well, you hear people say like, we only use 90% of our brain and all of that, like that, whatever. But there's probably some truth to that, right? And that's the same as probably access to our athleticism. Like we're only able to access a certain we're not accessing nearly all of our capability because our nervous system is actually getting in the way versus our muscles tendons and ligaments and bone structure oh my goodness absolutely you you just hit it that on i hang out my uh, wife goes to the top powerlifting meet the wpa world powerful organization um finals every year and i go and hang out i'll probably try to work my way up to be a referee but you know like the first flight Kurt, the first flight of lifters, the average opener, the lowest opener was like 950 pounds. And it went all the way up to 1,200. I watched like, I in all, like seven lifters after doing 1,100, 1,100, 1,100. And, and again, <laughs> it blows my mind because I work with these humans and like people have no idea what they're doing. One, yeah, you are training, but like you gave the example of the doing bar, you know, barbell curls for your marathon. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help, you know. Are you training efficiently? And you'd be shocked at how much training is actually has a beneficial athletic effect that people do. People give me their routines. Here's what I'm training. You know, I'm biking this much. I just wrote a routine for a neighbor. She's a triathlete, and she kept getting second and third in the masters division locally. She's fantastic. And I'm like, do you want me to put your real routine down? And I dissected out her routine, and she wasn't pushing her nervous system enough. Now, here's the thing. She was exhausted. She was in the dirt a lot. Mm-hmm. As you said, you know, she laid a goose egg and like, oh, my God, I'm not recovered. But there's a difference between neurological recovery and metabolic recovery. You know, you could work yourself out so hard, it would take you a week for your cells to recover. Your muscle cells, your liver, your kidneys, heart, lung, you're just worn out. But your nervous system is fine. But what you need for increased performance at the elite level, not the middle levels, is neurologic performance. You know, so you don't want to push yourself 
to the point that, oh, I'm exhausted, but now you can't do a sprint. You know, you can't push that nervous system. You can't maintain a hot, you know, a high uh, pace because your nervous system's like not working. Mm -hmm. It's under training. So I would say most people overtrain their muscles, if I can use that, metabolism, yep. and they undertrain their nervous system. And that's why they hit a plateau. I don't think it's the other way around. That's interesting. I, there's probably a slight difference there between power output, you know, more ATP generated movements versus mitochondrial aerobic, right? Like if you can develop more red blood cells or capillary beds, well, that would also transfer to strength probably as yeah. well. Like there's going to be probably, I would assume a little more yeah. of a metabolic component to like extreme endurance training, but none, nonetheless, yeah. the neurological oh, yeah. component about moving efficiently with power and effectively using less of your percentage per stride or for the effort is going to increase your endurance yes. because you're yes. more efficient. So like it all comes back yes. to the same thing, right? Um, what, what, uh, yes. what, and, and I want to answer your oh, yeah. question about, cause I work with some ultra marathoners. Okay. Those guys are crazy. Like a hundred miles. I don't like driving a hundred miles. My last guest went to my last miles. guest just ran a 250 mile race that we talked to last week. So oh, we could be on more polar opposite ends of the conversation that. spectrum from one week to the next. <laughs> that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're right. You have to develop those capillaries. But you're ready for this. Here's the difference. Mm -hmm. Here's the difference. And it is chemical and it's nervous system. If you see, say, you hit 50 miles and that's your wall, your body releases what? Cortisol, stress hormones. Stress hormones inhibit angiogenesis or making new capillaries, right? So you're, if you mentally think that this is as far as I can go, you get stressed out, and that's between your ears. Mm -hmm. You actually shut down your ability to put more capillaries into your quads mm. because you're stressed out. Do you follow yeah, that? Yeah, so it's a subconscious thing, I would imagine, of course. But um, yeah, yeah, it's subconscious and conscious. You can't. So, in other words, these guys that hit 250, they're not freaked out at mile 199. You know, they just know what they have to do, mm -hmm. they're doing their checklist. They're not releasing cortisol. If they were releasing cortisol, they can't even make the capillaries. It's blocked. And that's why I say you've got to be careful how you train your nervous system. Mm -hmm. You Because if every time you reach mile 199, you freaked out, guess what? That's going to be your limit. Not because it's psychology or voodoo, but it's because you're releasing stress hormones, which changes your metabolic capacity at the level of the capillary bed. You get no new growth. Mm. You can't. You can't. You pour cortisol there, it won't grow, right? So it's this balance. It's this balance that you are, when I'm saying train the nervous system specifically is how do you set up your miles? How do you set up your times? And are you overtrained or are you undertrained? So you have to be able to, to balance that out. And every individual is different. Right. So mind over matter isn't a cheap saying. No, it's not. And a lot of people say that, you know, mind over matter. And, you know, I've, I've grown up in the weightlifting, powerlifting community where we scream and yell at each other. And it basically is a way to hype you up and shut down that cortisol, mm. get adrenaline going, right? Get dopamine going, which are painkillers, but not cortisol. Override the system. Oh, woe is me. I missed the lift. Oh, my knee hurts. I better not do it. Something bad may happen. Oh, I've been running and I got this something in my foot. And, you know, maybe my carbohydrate load wasn't good enough. And I don't think I can do this. 
Oh my goodness. Then you can't because hmm. you're releasing that cortisol and you're shutting metabolic processes down. You're kill- You're stealing your own gains. And that goes in any sport. Okay. I'm on board. What, what okay. takes longer to recover the nervous system or your structural body muscles, tendons, ligaments? What takes longer to rebound from big efforts? Nervous system. The nervous system. Ner- Why is that? Like, how does the nervous how does the repair recovery cycle? I envision like it's like plugging something in and letting it charge back up, which is not how it works. But it's like my electric car is completely wasted and it can't do shit right now. I'm gonna plug it in. It's gonna take time to recharge and get there. It's gonna be capable of its full capacity again, but it's gonna take a while. That's probably not how it works. So I'm going to use a word that in neurology is big. It's called refractory. Yep. The refractory period. In sex, it's that's like, big too. Fire Dr. So long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a period where you can't do right. anymore. And here's the thing. That's, that's true at the level of the individual nerve. It's also true at the level of the nervous system, the brain, each spinal cord, uh, peripheral nerves. It's true there too, that after a while, it's not burnout. It just shuts down. That is its normal functioning. So then it, it'll repair itself and be slightly stronger next time. Right. Mm-hmm. And you see this, you see this in PTSD. You see this in mental health things where like, say you got scared, say you're upset about something, right? Say you and your, you and your gal get into an argument in the morning. You finally get over it. You apologize, but aren't you a little edgy that entire day? Right. Sure. And that's where the nervous system has been put on alert, right? That fire alarm, that alert, you're stuck on alert and it takes a while for that to come back. So if you say you have a great training session where you're really pushing your nervous system, you can actually do, we, we call it deloading. You can actually go in and train your muscles with less, less weight, you know, 50, mm-hmm. 60, 70% um, of what you did before. So if you lifted 400 pounds and that was your max on Monday, on Thursday, you're not totally recovered. I put 300 on and do a double. You know, you work the form or whatever, yeah. but your nervous system is still recovering, but you can still train the musculature, which can come back quick within days, mm-hmm. right? You know, with days, which is amazing. But that's why it's designed to do because your nervous system is for learning. Okay. Sure. And I always say your muscles and your metabolism are the servant of the nervous system. Your nervous system is the boss. The employees are your muscles. Mm. And, you know, the boss has to make the big decision, get, gets paid the big bucks. But, uh, you know, you definitely don't want him out on the the factory floor. Yeah. You know, he, he hasn't thrown things around for a few years. He hasn't turned the wrenches. Yeah. But you want him running the shop. Yeah, nervous system is the queen bee, and your muscles are all the servant ants that you see running around. Work. Like work. Yeah, yeah. all the worker bees. The worker bees. So, yeah. um, okay, the worker yeah. bees. So... Okay, so like as athletes and endurance athletes, it's like, okay, how do I recover the quickest? Thinking like after a big effort or a race and people are like, oh, I'm going to get in the ice bath. I'm going to use my Normatec boots. I'm going to take, I'm going to cross train recovery or I'm going to go easy for a few days and hopefully things come back around. Then there's this whole argument about don't go in the ice bath, let inflammation do its thing to help you adapt and recover better. And flat. Oh. There's that argument too. But what I'm actually asking is this. Yeah, I'm sure you have, it sounds like you have an opinion on that is how do you best recover your nervous system then? Like, how do you, like, what is that process like? Like, how do you speak? Can you speed up the nervous system recovery process? Or like, what would be like, 
Like obviously you said submaximal efforts, yes. of course, which we do. We go for a, a big hard submaximal efforts. Yeah. Go ahead. Or just a rest. So we all rest our nervous system when we sleep. What happens when you don't get good sleep for a couple of weeks? You get crabby, you can get sick, mm -hmm. you start breaking down. When if you know, I'm sure the Russians are capturing Ukrainians right now, they're soldiers and keeping them up for two, three days to torture them to get information out of mm -hmm. them. Your brain breaks down. You can die if you go more than five days without sleep. Why is that? I'm resting. I'm laying in a jail cell. I'm just not sleeping because your nervous system has to recover. Well, that's an extreme. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's look at that. We know that's biologically true. So what can you do? If you ever looked at my hours, Kirk, I work all day Monday and half a day Tuesday. Tuesday squat day. So I rest a little bit before I actually take a nap, before I squat heavy. And then Wednesday, I don't go into 3 o'clock. That's for my recovery. Mm. I sleep in a little bit. I rest. I listen to jazz. Actually, I'll listen to music. I may read a book. I have a good meal. Um, I don't do any accounting. I don't do anything that messes with my mind until I get back into the office at three. Now, some people say, oh, my God, Fred, that's extreme. I learned this from a, a super heavyweight power for back in the 80s. Yeah, and he uh, worked in the military. And they would only give him off like two weeks a year, where one was for nationals and one was for the worlds. And what he would do, he would do nothing three or four days before a meet. I mean, he'd go to a hotel, he'd order food, have the food put next to him. The only time he got up was to go to the bathroom and back. And this is a guy who was working out two to three hours every day, five days a week. But he would totally recover. I remember I said, wait yourself, John, next time you do that. And the guy gained 11 pounds in four days, hmm. 11 pounds, just laying around, not fat, probably a lot of water, hmm. but just that refractory period of, of healing. So the best thing you can think of is like a concussion. What do, how do we treat a concussion? You shut down, you turn off monitors, you don't have bright lights, you have all that. So resting is very important. The Bulgarians figured this out a long time ago. Um, they worked on more of an intuitive system, but they focused on recovery more than they did the lifting. They have all kinds of methods, but Bulgarian method basically is about lifting as hard as you can that day, mm -hmm. wherever you are. You know, it's subjective guess, you know. Oh, I think I'm at a 7 out of 10. I'm a 6 out of 10. I'm an 8 out of 10 today. It was subjective. They did blood pressure mm -hmm. and some urinalysis, but it was still subjective. And you pushed yourself to that point. And then you rest it. You got a massage. You, you know, went to your chiropractor, got your acupuncture, you stretch. You, and you just rest it. You laid on the couch like a bum. Now, the problem is in America, we think we got to keep training, training, training. You do until it's time to rest. Right. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have the balance down yet here. But as soon as we get that balance down, we may start winning some Olympics. Um, that recovery is very important. So, in, in summary, to heal your nervous system, to recover your nervous system, you just got to shut down. So, oh, I'm not going to lift today. I'm going to deload, you know. But if you have an argument with your spouse or you go into work and you use your brain a lot, you're not recovering. It's the same nervous system. The same nervous system you use for a calculus test is the same nervous system you use to run 10 miles fast. Mm. It's the same thing. So you have to treat it like that. So you just rest. You rest, That's you know. Watch a dumb cooking show on TV for an hour or two. 
you'd be amazed at how fast your clients whip back. I'm like, oh, I can get another training session in. Mm -hmm. And if you can increase recovery from workout to workout, that means you get to add an extra workout and you get to shorten your overall training phase. When I look at someone, I say, oh, I want to start training with you. I'm like, okay, three years state level, five years national. But what if we could do that in two? Because your recovery is dead on. Mm -hmm. That's possible. And I've seen it. I've done it. I've done it with people. And I do it personally. You know, I've got a bunch of kids. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of stress in this house. So I pick a couple of times, even on weekends, where I just chill, mm -hmm. you know. And that's very important for your nervous system. Ice bath, all those things, they do help. Not the nervous system, but muscles, mm -hmm. you know, capillary beds, you know, your liver, your kidneys, all those things help. But the nervous system still boss. So you got, if you're stressed out, you're not going to recover. You got, you know, look at Tom Brady this year. Mm -hmm. He's going through a divorce. Didn't do too well this year. And he was in top shape. Mm -hmm. I hope they bring him back somewhere next year. The divorce is over. He's going to kill, mm. kill it again. Yeah. You know? But he focuses on recovery. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's like the... You know, the fitness industry can be some of us can be the most compulsive humans out there in the endurance community um, is littered with compulsion um, and dependency on movement. Yes. Right. Those endorphins and the serotonin and the dopamine and the whole thing. And so everybody they feel like they're detraining after they've taken two days off. Right. They feel like they're backtracking yeah. oh. and it's it's a psychological inhibitor of their own process, which is what I think gets in the most people's way. Training hard is easy. And that's, that's obviously an oxymoron in itself, but it's true. Like training hard is the easy part. I think it's the easy part. I think it's hands down easier than yeah. all the other crap telling yourself to rest and trusting that your body yeah. will now have a chance to soak up and be better for the efforts you put forth. I think most people are running around with half a tank all the time and they don't even know what they're capable of when their yes. batteries are fully yes. charged and they have a full gas tank and a clean oil change. They have no idea what their, how their car can perform and they just run around at half staff. That's how I feel. And I, every time yeah. somebody, something pops up with an athlete, Bro, yeah, it, it's off. like, I'll have an, a consult call and I'll say, all right. Uh, when the, one of the, my leading questions will often be, all right, when's the last break you took? And they'll say, well, they'll start fumbling. Oh, well, it was January of 2016. I had an injury. And I'm like, you mean you haven't taken a break, like a planned rest where you don't do any training of any sort for seven years? Well, yeah, I, I got to move. That's my routine. It's who I am. And I'm like, I get that. But that's also like taking a gun and pointing it at your own foot. You just you're doing that repeatedly. Yeah. And. People don't listen to me that much on it. I keep telling everybody to take a rest week, take a rest. That's my default at this point. You feel like shit. You're not out of shape. You're tired. That's it. You're not. Yes. Go rest. Anyways, yeah. I could get on that rock and talk all day about it. So when you when you just speak about rest. So, so the rest isn't metabolic, Kurt. It's neurological, well, that, right? I believe it's so probably the, both, but mostly. nervous system. Mostly neurological. Yeah, probably yeah. a little both, yeah. Yeah, but mostly neurologic because they'll say, I'm eating clean, right? They're eating clean. They're doing all these things. This is who I am. I, I've hit a plateau. And I'm like, you know, we're not built for plateaus. Mm. <laughs> you know? We're just not. Yeah. If we did, we wouldn't be walking around. You know, say we're two tigers be walking around. Mm. They plateaued. We didn't. Yeah. So, you know, just looking, just looking at the facts of biology, 
it is controlling. So let, let me give you an example so your listeners can have it. I, when I was training, I could squat heavy every 10 days. I had a rope. I couldn't do every seven, even though the calendar, hey, it's better to, to squat Tuesdays with the team, right? Mm-hmm. No, I would go Tuesday or Friday, depending on how I'm recovering. You know, so I, I learned intuitively how to train that way, just like the Bulgarians. Um, deadlifts, when I was in shape in the eight, 80s and 90s, I, I went to a powerlifting meet, and I think I trained deadlift maybe five times. I would work form with like 300 pounds a couple times every week, so I wouldn't lose form. But I was so busy opening a practice, doing these things. I probably got maybe four deadlifts in in four months. I pulled 810, you know. And people said, Fred, how did you do that? Because I knew if I pulled every week or every other week, I'd be burnt out. My nervous system couldn't recover. Because the same nervous system I used to open a business was the same one I used to deadlift. You know, people forget those facts. Mm. So that's really knowing yourself. Like we started this podcast, really getting to know yourself. People know more about how to change the oil in their car than they do how to change their percentages and their volume and work output in a training routine. You know, you should know that about yourself, what works for you. And that's why me and you exist because people don't know and they need someone to guide them, Mm -hmm. but they just, there's like a barrier there. It's like, why don't you know what works for you? Why can't you trust yourself that, you know, you take two days off. Wow. I feel great. And then I can train better than if I went through it, you know, that constant state of overtraining, you're actually teaching your nervous system not to perform at a hundred percent. You're teaching it to, and if that's okay, if that's what you want, if you always want to be at 80%, guarantee you're going to break down, you know, but how would you like to train at a hundred percent and compete at a hundred percent and not get hurt? Wouldn't that be a better chance, you know, for a good lifelong goal? Yeah. It's interesting. We, uh, I was on a plane for like, I don't know, 22. I was traveling for like 26 hours straight. I went to Vietnam recently and came back, came back recently. Oh. But on the way out there, you know, I was feeling kind of junky and run down in my runs. I didn't have a good session before heading out. And I was like, you know, I'm tired. Like I might even take the first part of my trip off. Okay. Because like I can tell my body signals, I'm just not hitting metrics. Everything I do, I'm feeling like I got a governor on me and I need to chill. I charged up on sleep knowing I don't sleep well on the flights, which I didn't. I might have slept a total of two hours in that 26 hours. I'm just bad, right? Ooh. I'm not good. Um, anyways, but I trained really easy and even took like, I'm like, I'm going to just chill going into the trip. I could, I was listening to my body signals. And then I didn't do anything for like two full days, really, by the time we left the airport, got there, got in, slept, then woke up about 48 hours later. And I was talking to Jess, my girlfriend, and I was like, I don't even remember the flight. I don't remember, like, I feel like I was in, like, a long dream. My brain did nothing but watch something on this video. I watched, like, four movies. I don't remember anything about them. I was, like, in some weird, I, I, don't, I don't know, meditative state. I did disassociation. Yeah. I, my nervous system was doing nothing, right? Nothing. I mean, I should have been sleeping, of course, but nothing. My legs didn't move, nothing. I was just, like, a brain dead. It's like you put me in there, and I just sat there and, like, somehow ended up in Vietnam, right? It's like my body disassociated, disassociated. And I got there with very little sleep. We slept like five, six hours the first night we got there, but following a no sleep. And I went out to run. I'm like, yeah, I got to run. I want to go experience Vietnam. And it's like my legs weren't even attached to my body. It's like I could have floated on air. They were so light. I had no sleep really, but I listened to – I didn't overtrain going into it because I knew I was tired. And then I took two days where like I don't even – 
think my body was it was on autopilot. It was bizarre. I didn't have a creative thought in 48 hours. I went there and was like, doo, 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 I'm just an existing being. And then I went and it's like, well, that makes no sense. I was on a plane. I probably, I didn't sleep, but like I was like, there was no stress. I was just bored out of my mind. And then I landed and it didn't make any sense. And my legs were firing. I was like, I got eight hours of sleep for two weeks straight. Still felt like crap. But then I go and I like take two full days of like nothing. And it was like my nervous system came back around. And then I popped for like two, three days in a row. And then it hit me again. And I was like, how do you make sense of that? And the only way I can make sense of that is kind. I mean, other than the sleep thing is sort of what you're saying. It's like, dude, I had no nervous system recruitment on any capacity, including my brain for like two days. Do you think there's anything to that? Yeah. You got to rest. I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, look at other animals. Look at the lion. Look at the cheetah. They say the cheetah's fast, you know, can go 60 miles an hour. I don't know if that's fast. (laughs) But, you know, do you see that cat? It lays around on the goddamn tree laying around tired, Mm -hmm. right? Now, it's not planning, oh, I got to deload. I got to do this. My wife's mad at me. I I didn't get my promotion at work. Yeah, my wife's (laughs) mad at me. It's not thinking about any of that stuff, right? <laughs> it gets down after resting the nervous system and does what? Boom. 60 miles an hour. Catches the gazelle, eats it. All right, back up in the tree, mm. right? That is a template for success. It, you know, I always say, you know, the templates for success are all around us. We don't have to, we don't have to build the road anymore. The road's already built. It's already well used. It's got ruts on it. Use it. But we turn away from it. So the nervous system in a cat, a, a 55 mile an hour running cat mammal, is about high intensity exercise, push, 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 right? Good nutrition and then rest. Mm-hmm. Rest that nervous system and then do it again. You know, do it again. Mm. And that's the thing where people get, get caught up in. They, you know, and, and I don't want to bad mouth CrossFit, but they drive me nuts. You know, they got some of the principles right, the chaos theory, right, of training. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, all of them are overtrained. You put up a workout that's specific to who up there? No one or maybe one person, you know. You put up a workout and they all follow it. They all get that dopamine hit you guys love. You know, I got to run and work out. I got to move every mm-hmm. day. Well, why don't you just, you know, shoot heroin? It's the same thing. You're addicted to the hot. <laughs> we're going to take that snippet this. from, we're going to take that snippet from this interview and use it. It'll be great. We'll get you, we'll, we'll get you crucified. Continue. <laughs> I'm always crucified. Well, you guys are a bunch of addicts. You I, are. I'm not. If you think arguing. about it, I got to keep moving. You're, you're stuck on the serotonin dopamine hit, right? The runner's high. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. You know, it beats knocking over liquor stores. But guess what? That's what it is. It's a high. You're damaging yourself. If you really want performance and you want to be healthier, you know, addicts aren't healthy. If you want to be healthier and not hear, oh, this 45-year-old dropped of a heart attack. Oh, he was a good runner. Well, I don't care if he was a runner. He was overtrained. Mm -hmm. He killed his nervous system to the point that his vagus nerve and the nerves to his heart said, screw you, Mm -hmm. you know? That's what happens. Do you think that is actually? Yeah, is that is that what you think is happening? You you hear a high level marathoner drop drop dead five miles in. You see a young I had somebody in my class. He was he was thirty two at the gym, very healthy appearing. Just that's it, doing tricep push downs on the cable machine. Boom, done. Cardiac failure. You think it's all nervous system? You look at me and say, you would say I'm fat and out of shape. I had a CT cardiac scan that looks for. Um, calcium in your heart a couple years ago, mine's zero. 
I got the heart of a 12 year old. Why? Because the way I train, mm. you know, inflammation is the enemy of recovery and of disease, right? Uh, setting up a foundation for disease. So if you keep your inflammation and stress down, like today, I'm going to put my feet up after this podcast, have a little, you know, uh, decaf coffee and listen to some music just to unwind. Mm. You have to unwind or chill after these hard workouts. You have to do it. Like, what's what do we usually do? Oh, I CrossFit in the morning, 6 a.m. I go into the office. Oh, my God. Really? That's not recovering. Mm. You know, you, you hear this all the time. Oh, I got to get my workout in over lunch. Well, I, I hope you're not a surgeon. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because it, you would, it, Kurt, you being intelligent and smart trainer, you would say, you know what? We're only going to work out for half an hour. But I got an hour for lunch. I need you recovering. You need, you need some downtime to unwind. I actually, we actually put that in. Like, you know, you sit, like for me, I get to coach. I get to sit around. I get to lay around the gym for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. We always, we don't go right home, rush and get into the chaos of a home full of teenagers. Mm -hmm. We take our time. Sometimes I'll be driving. I'm like, I'm not recovered yet. I'll pull in my neighborhood and I'll go for another 10 minutes, you know? Because I know if I come in here, okay, I got to help this one with algebra. I got to help this one with history. Oh my God, Lily's playing the saxophone again. Put your earplugs in. Sorry, Lily, if you're listening. But, you know. I'm sure she's great at this. you know what I mean? So so your training is not isolated from your life. Your environment controls your progress and your performance. And I don't understand how trainers don't look at that. They run run the people through the same, what, templates, cookie-cutter templates. And I'm like, yeah, good example. Best example I can give. I had an intern. I used to run interns through my clinic. So I probably have trained 150 chiropractors over 30 years. And this one intern, he was really in shape. He was one of you people, Spartan or mud running or I don't know, crazy stuff. Uh He did a lot of crazy stuff, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's great. He gets this. He gets the single mom who has a bad back. She's raising two kids, going to school at night, hurt her back. Gets a good adjustment in there. I'm watching. That's real good. All right, now I want you to do these exercises. And I blew up. I probably dropped some F-bombs on them in front of the patient. Probably wasn't good. I go, did you look at her life? Does she need more exercise? What does she need? Oh, she needs more rest. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. her problem. Her problem is not sitting around, not doing enough. She's doing too much. Single mom, going to school, two jobs. She hurt her back. Guess what? She needs rest. Her her whole lifestyle is inflammation, right? Stress and inflammation. We need to cool that down. And then you have the opposite, right? That's why I take everyone individual, just like you. You have someone who like works out and they go to their office and they're an accountant. They just sit down and they don't move for eight hours, right? I'm like, you know what? At lunchtime, I want you to do a walk. Why work out in the morning? You got to move more. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to walk. I want you to park as far away from the office you have to. Park in the next goddamn town, you know? And uh, you you need more movement. Well, my back hurts. That's why it's hurting because you're not getting enough. But I work out three days a week. Yeah, but your whole other imbalance, the rest of your life is sedentary. Mm-hmm. We take that single mom, she's moving too much. We need more nervous system rest. And, you know, she goes, oh, I did all the stretches they gave me before when I hurt my back. I did this and I go, I don't want you to do any stretches. What? Don't you want me to get better? You don't need to stretch. You need to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, hire a babysitter and just lay there and put an ice pack on your back and listen to music. 
Hmm. You know, she thought I was a quack, but she got better and she's doing fine. <laughs> you know, so a lot of it is just balancing out your training with reality. It's not the principles of biology for humans. It's biology for Kurt, biology for Fred, because you would treat me differently if you were doing a weight loss routine with me than you would someone who's 25 and half my size. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, you would totally do it. Well, we're not going to make Fred run, you know, and I started on my my two weeks ago. I started on the stationary bike. I started with 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now I'm up to 45. You know why? I, if I went 45 that first day, my biology would say F you, right? So, yeah. no. It, so, just understanding that is so important, that recovery, that nervous system recovery. If you want to be a world champion, two things have to happen. Genetic gifts or smart coach. Mm -hmm. And smart coaching is, all right, I'm going to train you at 100% of what you can do today and recover from tomorrow which may not be what's on the piece of paper. Hmm. Yeah. And then ideally you combine the both genetic gifts with smart coaching and then, then yes. you got it. Then you got something. Yes. There's a lot of uh, yes. Olympic gold medalists yeah. that didn't even know that was within the realm of possibility because they've never had the proper lead in what we think are best and world best around yeah. the world. It's just because not enough people have exposed themselves to the proper training recovery coaching there'll be more world records broken constantly as more people live on this earth and training minds develop and we understand this better i uh i wanted to ask you something about um inflammation because you've mentioned it a number of times and so um inflammation i think f from the outside there's two types of inflammation you'll probably correct me here we have systemic inflammation and then we have acute inflammation from injury, right? We have systemic inflammation that is pumping through our body constantly. It is always there because of diet, lifestyle, training, whatever. And then we have a rolled ankle or we have a blown rotator or we have a piriformis issue, whatever it might be. So I had changed my tune mostly from what I have what I've like researched lately. And actually what helped my shin splints, which I've always battled with, was stopping icing. Icing helped me short-term, of course. It helped right away. It reduced the inflammation. But long-term, it was sort of inhibiting my overall progression. And I've noticed that with things like you got an acute injury that you need to get ready for tomorrow or the next day. Of course, chill it and ice it. Get rid of inflammation. But for long-term, now this is just you know theories I'm picking up from other people. Like acute inflammation due to injury is obviously trying to fix something, right? But I'm sure you Correct. could rebuttal me on this like, for recovery, if you need to turn around and do a big effort today and a big effort tomorrow, sure, the ice bath is great. Let's chill it out as much as we can short term. But I want to know your your thoughts on both systemic inflammation, which you've basically been touching on, and then like acute inflammation from like an injury standpoint. Like what what protocol do you believe? Let's say uh, let's call it let's say a sprained ankle, rolled ankle, bad rolled ankle out on the trail. Okay. But like what what do you think? What does the body respond best to? So so I hate to say it, but this is very controversial now. My good friend, Dr. Ron Hansen, I've had him on my podcast. The podcast you haven't been on yet, Kurt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he, he brought stem cell um, therapy to Minnesota. He is a non-icer. He believes like, and he's dealing with a chronic rolled ankle, mm -hmm. right? He'll inject stem cells. He injects stem cells into my daughter's ankle, and she wasn't allowed to ice it because she, he wanted that inflammation 
to stabilize an instability. Sure. More scar tissue. So if you ice, you, you get less scar tissue. Right. You get less vascularity, okay? We'll talk about your shin splints in a minute. But so you have to understand, do I need scar tissue and stability and more vasculature? Do I need less? Well, if I just ran, if, if, if say you're in the minute, you're in uh, March Madness, right? You're a basketball player. You just had the game of your life, but you move a bracket and you got to play at 100% in two days again, right? Get in the ice yep, bath, yep, yep. right? You don't have a week to recover, you know? Get in the ice bath. You push the out. You're, you're, you're just trying to maintain your performance yep. from game to game because there's a game in two days, yep. right? That makes sense. You're absolutely correct. If you're trying to induce more blood vessels, you know, we call it angiogenesis, where blood vessels, capillaries grow mm -hmm. into the tissue, unfortunately, you need heat, you need inflammation, you need swelling. That's what does mm -hmm. it, okay? So for your tibialis anterior muscles in the front of your shin, they probably didn't have enough capillaries for them to perform, and you had a lactic acid buildup, a waste product buildup, when you would just go do a normal run. You needed more blood vessels, mm -hmm. not more muscles, not more metabolism. You just need more blood vessels. More nutrients there. getting there. And if you ice it, guess what happens? Yeah, pushing them out. Yeah. You, you shut it down. You can't get the new blood vessels. So by not, you know, if I knew about that, I'm like, ah, don't ice it unless you got to run the next day, you right. know? And that's a temporary fix. Icing, icing always reduces inflammation. Sometimes you want inflammation if you want stability and you want increased capillaries nutrition to the area. Yeah. And that's the battle. That's, and that's where you got to have a little smart. You got to have a smart coach of what you need to do. Like say you were, say you were working with me, you know, I go running, I got bad knees. You're going to say, okay, Fred, are they stable? They're very stable. They're too stable. They're arthritic. Okay. You flared them up a little bit. We're going to run again tomorrow. Let's ice them. So there's, there's that battle mm. or, you know what? They're unstable. This one's unstable. You know, let's let, leave it puffy for a while and let's let some scar tissue develop. So a year from now you can run without pain. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. So it sounds like it could be dependent on the situation and the nature of the injury and also what you're yeah. working with. Um, well, cause it was always the rice, no matter what it was, it was like, the rice theory, right? Rest ice, compression, elevation. It was like, whatever it was, it was like, that is the answer. And obviously, I, I don't think that is the answer necessarily for some injuries in long-term healing. It's a short-term Band-Aid when you need it to be, and those are Correct. important at times. Yes. But, okay. And then, yeah. turning to metabolic right. inflammation. Oh, go ahead. Okay. But, well, I was going to say, and this is controversial because you have the icers and non-icers now. Well, you have physical therapists say, oh, never ice, never ice. And I'm like, no, it, it depends. You actually have to analyze each case and what you're trying to get. Mm. It's never been easy. It's never been either heat or ice. Never been that easy. Mm. You have to know what is your long-term or short-term goal. What, what's your goal with this situation? And then that actually helps your recovery too. No, no. So you said metabolic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, metabolic inflammation general like i don't feel well i always have a tension headache my back hurts which it does right now i need to see you i'm coming in tomorrow if you're working um things like that right just i got foggy thinking my gi system's a mess my hands get swelled up for no reason at the end of the all that inflammation shit right um yeah. what, what would you say like the 
the biggest causes of systemic inflammation, like, like I notice, like I can be walking through life and I try not to take too many NSAIDs these days and I don't, I'm pretty good about staying away from them. But even me, I can be like, I can take two ibuprofen and not have a, a pain, so to speak, not have a pain, just like, let's say I were to take them. Mm-hmm. And then about an hour, hour or two later, I'm like, I feel pretty good right now. I, why do I feel so good right now? I'm like, well, I don't have an acute issue, but clearly I have systemic inflammation of some variety because suddenly I feel very awake. I feel pretty clear minded. My body seems to be moving fluidly. So point being is we all have some sort of level of systemic inflammation. If an ibuprofen, a couple of them make me feel a little bit like better, obviously I have some things to address, right? Mm -hmm. And we all probably have some level on the scale. Mm -hmm. So my curiosity is as athletes, we are creating and we're purposely creating inflammation. We're purposely creating that as far as the adaptation cycle goes. So how do we minimize like systemic or bodily inflammation? Like what are some of the major causes of it outside of training? Do you know? And then like, do you have any advice just like to feel better in that regard? Um, I would say number one is sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you getting, you getting good sleep? Um, I'm so fat. I have to use a CPAP and that's good. So, you know, I got to have quality sleep. Mm. I, I send skinny people out who, so someone comes in and say they have, I have symptoms like I have Lyme disease. I hurt all over. I'm a runner. I can't recover. You need a sleep study. What do you mean you need a sleep study? I'm, I'm skinny. I just won the, the Minnesota marathon or what Twin Cities marathon. Mm. I'm like, I don't care. They, it's just not about snoring. It's about looking at your quality of sleep. I, I would say in the last 10 years, I'm really quick on that trigger with um, elite athletes, mm-hmm. and I would say half, half, one out of two that I send for a sleep study, someone like you that's in shape, does not snore, um, just is a little sore and achy all the time, you know, like you said, foggy-minded, it's sleep. They're not sleeping at all. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between sleep apnea caused by, you know, your fat in the back of your throat and those centrally caused by a brain, something screwed up in the brain. Mm-hmm. And that's huge to get it diagnosed, get it treated correctly, because that's your recovery. So number one, sleep. Sleep hygiene is so important. Do you go to bed at the same time? Do you have a good mattress? Do you invest in a good mattress thing? So quality sleep. Mm-hmm. You, you don't release growth hormone, your main healing hormone, until you get into that nice restful sleep. So guess what? If you're not in deep sleep, you don't get a shot of it. And it's free. You don't have to go to you know, a Russian drug dealer to get it. You can do it yourself. Just get some good sleep. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is nutrition. Number three is nutrition. Number four is nutrition. Number five is nutrition. Got it. Got it. What you put in your mouth. What do you, do you have? Um, It just. I know it's very individualized there because some of us pop inflammatory markers to eggs and some don't, right? People are always like, I got a gluten allergy. I got it. I'm like, you don't have a freaking allergy. Your body just gets super inflamed when you eat it because it's res- it's it's resistant oh, to it, right? People- You're going to get me in trouble. No, I'm going to get myself in trouble because everybody has a- I, Listen, I'm very much gluten intolerant and I know it. If I eat too much bread, I feel like junk, but I'm not allergic okay, to gluten. Yeah. In fact, I think it's the baker's yeast more than anything because I can have wheat pasta and feel somewhat fine. Yeah, it could be. But it no, could be some other component. Nonetheless, I don't go walking around saying, I had a gluten allergy. I'm like, you don't have a gluten allergy. You have, a, you have an immune – you have an a, a inflammatory response either in your gut or systemically that makes you feel like junk afterwards. But you don't have a true allergy. You don't get an immune – anyways. So point being is 
I'm going to tell a joke. Let me tell this joke. It's going to get us in trouble. going to get you in trouble. Speak so, for yourself. three people walk into a bar. Okay. Okay. So, sort of. <laughs> three people walk into a bar. Yeah. Three, three people walk into a bar. A vegetarian, a CrossFitter, and someone who's gluten intolerant. How do you tell the difference? Uh, well... Don't worry, they'll tell you. Oh. <laughs> That's fair. I've heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's not going to get so, you in trouble. So, again... Yeah, okay. It was clean. But and it's vegan, not vegetarian. There's you. nothing wrong with you know, it. If you're, if you're eating a plant-based lifestyle, make sure you're not allergic to nightshades. You know, you're eating too many tomatoes and you got inflammation. Mm-hmm. I am working with someone right now who just had a heart attack. He is 50 years old. He's a doc. He was pretty much in shape. He skated all the time. He had a beautiful Harvey farm, raised his own damn meat. You're listening, Don. Hi. Hey, Don. Um, did all these, you know, had his own honey. I have jars of his honey, mm-hmm. tomatoes, all that. Guess what? He got a kidney stone. Sorry for giving your personal information out, Don, but you're a doctor and you want to share this. He, he had trouble with nightshades, mm. oxalates. Yep. Now, someone would say, I, I've had vegetarians come in with kidney disease, bladder disease, you know, all these weird things. It's like, you can't eat that because for you, you're not good with it. You know, you're, it's inflaming you. So you have to find out what causes inflammation. I don't think everyone out there is gluten intolerant. No, they're not. I think everyone can handle a little bit. You know, everyone is different. Some people can't have, handle an ounce. Some people can eat a loaf of Wonder Bread and just burp afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think a lot of times when people go gluten-free or this free, they just clean up their diet. It's the first time they're looking at what they're putting in their yeah. mouth. You know, you know, what's your source of, say, say you have a, a starchy potato. Is it a white potato or is it a sweet potato? Because there's a difference. And there's a reason there's a difference. You know, I'm, I'm like stuck here. There's a five-pound bag of jasmine rice at my mm-hmm. foot. You know, my wife's getting ready to start her bodybuilding stuff. Well, are you allergic to jasmine or brown rice or what? I mean, you, you need to know what works for you. I, and I agree with you. Everyone says, oh, I got gluten. I don't think you do. I just think you got so much inflammation you can't add another straw to the camel's back. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And you need to remove some of this stuff and let's eat, get you eating clean. So you can't have that bagel once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know what? You just need to start eating better. With something specific like that, there's a couple foods that I noticed. And actually, sweet potatoes are one of them. I can't do them too regularly. If I do, I seem to develop more of an intolerance. White potatoes are fine. White rice is fine. Uh, gluten, I stay away from like bread products in particular for a while. And then if I have one after two weeks away, I feel great. I feel nothing happens, but it's like, you know, if I over accumulate after, you know, keep saturating over and repeated exposure seems like, and that's how we develop intolerances is continual exposure to, to things, right? Yep. Just like at, at traditional allergies to pollen or yep. whatever it is. Um, okay. I actually could go down that rabbit hole for a while, but I want to ask you um, a, another <laughs> question. Um, cause we're going to, we probably got about 15 minutes left. So, um, okay. Metabolic sabotage. I am dealing with this with a handful of my endurance athletes who in quotes need to lose weight, but can't, um, I'm air quotes as in they're saying mm. this, not me. Um, and I'm dealing with this okay. within the gym clients and, you see stuff out there and I actually just, you're just a real talker and you cut through the bullshit. Right. And I appreciate that about you. So metabolic sabotage in the sense, is that a real thing? Let's say somebody skips breakfast every day. They don't eat until 4 PM and then they eat till 10 PM 
and then they don't eat again and they're they're holding on to 30 pounds and they can't you know seem to get rid of it they've been intermittent fasting without realizing it let's say their whole life and they just can't do it is there really such a thing like do you believe that people can ruin their metabolisms by poor eating habits and can you reverse that if you do believe it's a thing um i do believe it's a thing i do think that humans have a capacity for because we're uh you know, we eat everything. We're omnivores, right? We eat anything that moves. Mm-hmm. We can eat plants. We can eat animals, nuts, we eat seeds. We can eat anything. Um, so we're omnivores. And traditionally, sometimes we only ate one meal a day. Or we ate one big meal when the woolly mammoth was knocked down. And we, didn't, we don't eat again for three days. Mm-hmm. So we have that capacity to intermittently fast. It doesn't mean it's the best thing for your performance right. and inflammation. Hmm. Um, usually I'll take someone like that who basically, as you said, is intermittently fasting all the time. I have them eat six times a day. It drives them nuts. You know, half of a chicken breast, a little bit of broccoli, a little bit of rice. And they'll do that for three weeks and they'll lose 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. The water will come off. They can't believe it. And they're eating the same number of calories mm-hmm. that they were before. We don't up or lower them. We keep it the same. It's just that the body, the nervous system starts monitoring this and says, hey, you know, there's no woolly mammoth. We're not in a scarcity. We can eat. So sometimes that works. And the sabotage part is insulin resistance. You know, so you actually have these receptors in all your cells that, you know, monitor, you know, how many sugars are around and when we get food. If you screw those receptors up, it takes months and months and months Fix, Is that what you think it does? Months you know, you, to fix cells basically to, to, to teach your body that it doesn't need to hold on to everything you put into it because it's afraid it's going to starve again. It takes months to retrain yes. the system to be like, hey, you're eating breakfast. Great. I'm going to take what I need from it and, sh- and shit the rest out because I don't need to hold on to that anymore. Like it yeah. takes a while. And that, that's my yeah. belief as well. It takes a while. Yeah. So just think about the receptors on your cells. So, you know, you have so many receptors that will lock insulin in. So for those out there listening, think about a key and a door lock and you have to have the right key. Well, with the key hole is the receptor of your cell. The key is insulin. Well, on some, some doors, some cells, there's 10. On some, there's only one keyhole. Well, we have to get those keyholes. It's called upregulation of receptors. And it takes a while for a cell to change. Some of the damn cells just have to die, mm. right? Some cells are so resistant to change, they have to die. Um, liver cells are kind of like that. We regenerate liver fast, but for you to regenerate a whole liver is going to take you about five years. You know, they, they had this all figured out. Mm. Yeah. Five to seven years to regenerate all the cells in your liver. Really? Well, if that's a big part of your metabolism, it's going to take more than five weeks to change. Right. You know, that goes back, like another example though, which goes back to your testament about, you need to look at the individuals like, well, okay, well, let's talk about fixing your metabolism. I believe it's real as well, by the way. I think most middle-aged people in particular, especially women who walk in and they can't lose weight in quotes, yeah, maybe there's some hormonal imbalances and maybe other things. And yes, they need to get moving, yeah. but for the most part, they're they're running on gunky oil and sludge is running through their system and they're just not yeah. metabolizing quickly. Um, so I think that is true. Yeah. But at the same time, if you walk in, somebody, somebody walks in the door and all they have is GI distress and discomfort and nothing's sitting well, it's like, Intermittent fasting is going to be the quickest quick to give your GI a yes. break. It's so point being is it could be the exact opposite for somebody. If 
if and you yes. mentioned intermittent fasting works for some if somebody's have major gi issues give it a more of a breather see how it responds to that so to your point we can generalize but then there's always like how good is the coach or your intuition to look at yourself and then realize what's best for you absolutely and individualizing that's really important because and where you are are you changing so this is this is what they say in powerlifting and weightlifting and in track and field i, I work with some track and field athletes um all training all training programs work no training program works all the time right mm -hmm. and every training program has to change over time mm -hmm. you know and that's that's amazing to hear but it's true if our whole point is changing our biology over a series of weeks right so like powerlifting it's 12 to 16 weeks um so i want my biology to change in four months well, that program that I would use at month number 16 has to be different because I'm biologically different than I was at, at week one. Sure. So that's important to understand, too. Mm -hmm. I see these people in this, basically the same program, and I'm like, what are you doing? And, or someone comes in with GI distress. They have IBS or Crohn's disease. I'm like, okay, how often do you eat? I eat good two or three times a day. Skip it. Eat once. Right. And all of a sudden their IBS or their Crohn's goes away. And they're like, oh, if I only knew that. And they're on drugs and medication. I'm like, you need that. Your gut, for whatever reason, I don't know why. I'm not going to ask it. And I'm not going to wait to research. I just want to fix you. Right. Just eat for an hour and a half once a day. Mm. And you pick the window that works for you. All of a, su all of a sudden they're feeling better. Mm -hmm. They're doing well. They're throwing medications away. Now, you do that to someone who's diabetic, you're going to kill them. Right, right, you know? exactly. They have to consistently monitor that blood sugar, mm -hmm. you know? So the same thing that's going to, this person was pooping blood, and now you fixed them, that same diet will kill the diabetic. That's why it's all individual. Now, that's an extreme health care mm -hmm. intervention. Same thing works with your training routines. Mm -hmm. this, if you followed, if you followed, uh, um, you know, Dave Hoff's routine, the strongest man in the world, it would crush me and it would destroy you because he's built up a tolerance right. over decades for handling 95% loads every week, you know, but that won't work for me. Mm. So there's a lot of individuality, you know, that we have to play with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's it. we come up with these rules to follow and there's principles that are sound, but there's always deviations. There needs to be. Um, I have one more question for you, um, which could be an entire episode, but we're not going to make it an entire episode because okay. this thing's wrapping up. But um, let's just talk like your biggest bang for your buck. If you want to, for the runner, I think the more powerful you can be for your size, with you know, without gaining a bunch of muscle, because that's eventually going to be detrimental to your running as much as we don't want to agree with it, body weight is is in relation to your ability to move through space like it's it's important i agree so yeah. um what is the best how if you were to approach a strength routine for a runner to develop power without putting on much size ideally very minimal for a lot of people mm -hmm. um you want to be strong but you don't want it to be a sacrifice to your running and obviously being strong will help your running so what what would you do you have any thoughts on like how to increase power without increasing size? What's your your philosophy on that? Well, it's not a philosophy anymore. It's science. It's the Russian wave um, training where you do a lot of singles, doubles, <clears throat> excuse me, and triples. 
five by five in middle of the road, but that's too much. You gain too much muscle on a five by five. You, if I do five reps right now, you know, for I do a five by five on my arms, mm-hmm. I'll have an inch on my arms in a month. Hmm. I don't want that. I don't want to gain muscle, you know. Hmm. So if you just want to gain strength, and we do this with the lighter weight classes and powerlifting, we just put them on singles, doubles, and triples. So, and then you wave every three weeks for whatever reason. That's what they figured out neurologically. You ramp up, ramp down, ramp up, ramp down every three weeks. So you you have someone running at about 90% every three weeks. So you go 80%, 85, 90. Go back down, 82, 92, 97. Back down, get to 100, start over. What do you mean? Like if you were to break that so, down more specifically, so I, the one or two, three rep schemes, like what, like what would that look like? Let's give me a month snapshot. 10 repetitions. Excuse me, 10 sets. You warm up, say you need, you know, you warm up, whatever you have to do, and then you do 10 sets of singles. So say say you're going to bench 300 in 12 weeks. Week one, you may be using 200, right? 200 pounds. So you would do one rep with 160, 160 again, 165, 165, 170, 170, 175, 180, 190, 200, 190, 180, mm-hmm. 170. So you stay up between 70 and 90%, but you only do singles working on explosion and speed. Now that's the problem. You got to make sure you get someone who knows what they're doing. You can't just do it slowly. You want explosion and speed. That will get you strong. You'll get no body weight gains. And for a runner, that's perfect because you just want strength. You want power, explosive but power. But Dr. Clary, and I thought you get 15, 20 reps tones. It doesn't build muscle, Dr. Clary. I thought we wanted 20 reps is going to tone me up without gaining muscle. Well, I don't want you to do 20 reps. I want you to do 10 sets facetious. of singles, doubles, triples. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Okay. It'll blow people away because they're like, oh, I'm supposed to do five by five. Nope. If you want to do 25 reps, do 25 singles. Now, Dr. Clear, I'll be there for two hours. Yeah, you will. Yep. You will. With full recovery, with like two, three, three minute recoveries, I'm assuming you're talking. Three minute recoveries. Yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. So That's you're pushing a lot so of weight fast. And, and people bar like, speed matters, and you're moving it with yeah. force, and you're exposing yourself to heavy load singles. Up to triples. You maybe would, would you cycle like week one singles, two doubles, three triples? Would you do it that way? Yeah, okay. Correct. Um, yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. And we could spend a whole hour on this. So you would make, you get to mix up your reps, threes, twos, and ones. But I always say if you're a power lifter, don't count over three. You and know, you, that's cardio. And, you, and so, you always think 10 sets, like just hit, hit, that's, that's a good number to shoot ten for. Sets. 10 sets. Oh, yeah. Eight to 10 sets. Eight to 10 sets. Well, then, so if you're doing the big three, you could be there for a while just doing a bench press, right? right? 20 minutes, half an hour, because you got to recover between. But here's the thing. You will be so strong your next run, you'll be like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and see, the distance runner likes to work. It's like it's, it. You're not going to sweat doing 10 sets of singles on the bench press. Very oh, much. No. You right. go out dancing that night. Right. And that's where that's Take the kids out for ice cream. That's where do. endurance athletes like, well, I'm being lazy. I'm not working what? hard. Like this is ridiculous. And that's the hardest part for an endurance athlete is to accept that kind of strength. Because what we do is so catabolic yeah. in nature already with a thousand strides a day or a thousand. Oh my God, the thousand is not even close to it. We yeah. go run 10 to two, 
10 to 20,000 steps 10, a day. 000. It's so catabolic yeah. that the anabolic balance needs to be the low rep scheme. And I very much agree with you on that. One last question. Now you spurred my, yeah. my curiosity. And one more thing, German volume training, 10 sets, 10 reps. What purpose do you think that serves in your mind? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's idiotic. And the, the coach that invented it, um, had his people for those listening on, let's just say on high dose pharmaceuticals. So, um, as they say in Russia, restoratives, we use the word steroids here. Um, 10 by 10 works fantastic. If you're metabolically enhanced, I'm just being quite honest, no BS. Um, but you will burn out on that too. But I've seen when the person I've seen many people go on their first, say, um, I'm going to experiment with these pills or shots. I don't care if they're legal or not. They do it anyway. And they do a 10 by 10 and they explode. Mm-hmm. Um, it works really good for that. But after a while, you're going to, it, it's specifically designed for your first or second drug cycle. So there's taking the curtain back from the man behind the curtain, you know. Sorry. It, and again, I, here's another thing you can use that for. You can use any intense training like that to break a plateau. So say you've been doing the same thing over and over again. You, you know, you just feel psychologically plateau. You just feel burnt out. Well, change it up. Do something so extreme that, you know, it shakes your brain up. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, why would you want to risk injury? Just compete, right? For you guys, you get to look at different things. For us, you know, we get to meet different people, different languages and international. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always tell people, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm just mentally, I'm plateaued. I was like, great. Pick a meet out across the country in a state you've never been. Mm-hmm. And then go do that. Like you said, go see Vietnam. Yeah. Go see Vietnam. I want you to compete in Vietnam. Mm, that- you know, that's better than trying a German 10 by 10. So German you know? volume training uh, originated, at least in people who were sup- supplementing, we will call it. So their repair cycle is very quick. Yeah. So yeah. So I prescribe a version yes. of it. I prescribe five by ten when we reach power plateaus. Like I do prescribe a one. I'm very commonly oh, prescribe perfect. a three rep scheme uh, when we're trying to create power. But if we're plateaued for two, three, four, like over a month, then I'm like, all right, we need to shake the system. And we'll either try to max or something. Then we go into tens. Yes. But I keep it at five sets. But a lot of guys in our sport, it's very popular right now to German volume train. It's super trendy for our hybrid athletes who go push heavy sleds, but also have to run an 8K at the same time to to build up like strength endurance is the principle. Do you think there's merit to it in short bursts or do you think ultimately it it ends, you're going to end burnt either way? Yes. No, yes. If you can't, it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Mm. Just like 100% is unsustainable. But a 10, but I like what you said, shake things up. That's what it should be used for. You know, it should be used to shake your nervous system up, shake your metabolism up and get you going again. Remember, our bodies want to adapt, right? And sometimes they adapt to whatever you're doing and you don't know why that person's adapt is plateauing. It could be their nutrition. It could be their sleep. Well, if you shake things up completely, you get them moving again. If you shake them up with a five by 10 and they go backwards, you know, you, they were overtrained. That was the plateau. It's a good point. So it's kind of like a test and therapeutic at the same time. You know, it's like, Oh, you're going forward again. Oh, you were just stale. Oh, you're going backwards. No, you were overtrained. Take a, like you say, take a week off, do nothing, you know, take a week. So long, so short term, potentially moving 
or stimulus change yes. uh, beneficial, but long term, it would it would be a recipe to crash and burn. I have patients who come in, Fred. You know the ten by ten German method method, and I go, yeah, I do. And they're like, yeah, I've been on it for three months. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to get some more money from you, because <laughs> you know? you're going to sure. be in more. Okay. You know? I feel it. Don't do it. Mm. There's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of questions about that that listen to this podcast too, which is going to be good. But I could bullshit with you for hours, man. You're so entertaining to talk to, and I learned so much from talking to you. Um, I got to go back to work. So typically I end these things around 2.30 because I got clients at 3.30, so I got to uh, get my stuff together. But um, you have a podcast. Uh, what is the name of your podcast? Where can people find that? Yeah, it's it's simple. It's called Dr. Fred Clary's Podcast. Huh. And it's on all the mediums, Spotify, you know, Apple, everything. It's on everything. Okay. And I know you're a busy um, guy. It's, it's not pretty viral. Not okay. Not like you need more business, but if people are in the Twin Cities, why don't you talk about your the name of your practice, where you're located, that sort of thing? Oh, um, my practice is called A Functional Life. Um, the phone number is uh, 651-330-6692, 651-330-6692. Yes, you have to call to schedule. If you mention Kirk, we'll somehow get you yeah, in. You um, everyone mentions they train with you. And then a couple of people have come in and said, no, I just listened to his podcast. Have you had that before? So, <laughs> and I heard you. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I've, we got a couple. That's great. Yeah. They just they just want to ask questions more questions. I didn't know this stuff, and I'm like, really? You 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 got the most out of a big fat powerlifter <laughs> on the running show? Okay, you know what? And that <laughs> that's what's so endearing about this is that you know we stay in our lane so much that it's hard to look out of it. And just like we talked, it takes somebody from the outside looking in to give us some real truth. You know, that's that's why therapy works so well. <laughs> it's it's therapy for <laughs> our physical being. You know, uh, this conversation. So, um, did I miss anything with you today? We could talk about a million things, but um... well, no, I think we did good. We should probably do like a, a psychology of of elite training because that's really a big wheelhouse of mine. Oh, it is. Okay. You know? well, and I know it's for you too. Well, we'll have to since we we kept touching on it. Anyway. We'll have to do a part 3 then I guess and then of course I'll I'll hop on yours. I don't know what I'm going to teach you on your podcast but well, you know I'll do my best so. <laughs> oh no. Remember, I have I have the general public and I have these big goons who listen. Mm. So I guarantee they'll learn something that will help keep them alive. They need to move more. That's that's you know? fair. That's fair. Well, sir, I appreciate your time. Um, and I guess the, just the audience is going to have to hang tight for a part three on psychology one of these days, months, years. All right. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Fred. Mm-hmm.